Big news. I have some important news for you. Interesting news. It's Blake and Darren's Spilling the Tea with Sandy. K-Man's top news headlines of the day from CMR. Good morning, Sandy. Hey. Hey. Good morning, Blake and Aaron. Hey. How was your weekend? Fantabulous. How was yours? That was good. Great. Very good. Very good. Her and dust store was a little weird. You keep thinking it's going to rain, and then you're like, no, it's the dust. That's weird. I'll tell you a little bit about that this morning. So here we are yet again. Do it. The Saharan death storm is back. Seems like I don't it's know why. Time every year. Is this an yeah. annual thing? I thought it was just yeah. a one-time thing. No, well, it just depends on the atmospheric conditions. So yeah. um, we're definitely having the Cayman Islands National Weather Service has confirmed that we're definitely having an intrusion of the Saharan dust in the Caribbean. Um, on Friday, they actually issued an advisory that said the uh, visibility was going to be reduced by salt spray in the atmosphere due to strong southerly winds across the Central Caribbean. But the Saharan dust was expected to move into our area and linger for the next few days. And it affects my sinuses. Yeah. I don't know who else notices it, but I definitely notice it. I do. Can you explain why, uh, like, the uh, National Weather Service sends out an advisory uh, after it's already happening? (laughs) Like, it happened on Friday. I know. By the way, their radar system hasn't worked in over a year. How, how are they able to detect and, and forecast weather and rain? That's my question. Yeah, you know, look outside. How are they going to help? How are they going to help during uh, hurricanes, which start, by the way, in you know, a week and a half? Yeah, we we spoke to them about that before, and essentially they've said that uh, they're having some issues getting getting it here. And I'm thinking, wow, in a year. Uh, yep. Uh-huh. You know. Anyway. I mean. So, um, yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> What, what what can I do? I'm just here to tell you what's going on. The National Weather we have, Service. We have our own weather system here at DMS. You know what I did? I Captain bought- by uh, Lake Rogers over here. That's right. DMS bought their own weather station. We can give you the the most accurate real-time weather in Cayman right now. Yeah. Look at the window. No. Um, Here's no, a, it's like a little like, it's a real, real, it's a real thing that's like you could see it if you drive by broadcasting. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we do weather as well. And I think that um, that... Kevin relies on other options other than the local forecasting. So I guess there's ways around it. There you go. Check it out. Too. There it is. Check it out. Isn't that cool? Uh, nice. Yeah, that's, that's our little. That's current current weather conditions right now. Okay, nice. Yeah. Well, yes, we're hurricane season is starting fairly quickly. So British Airways workers might go on strike this summer. So if you're planning a trip uh, to the UK, please keep this in mind, um, as you definitely don't want to get caught up in another strike. I mean, what's what's going on around the world? Things are just crazy at the moment. You don't want more money. Mm. It's more expensive to live out there. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. So um, did you guys hear about this super interesting story coming out of Jamaica where a zoo attendant decided to stick his finger in a lion's mouth? Well, we all know that's not a great idea. <laughs> Well, he lost his finger. Yep. And his life and his hand. Just the finger. Lucky him. So this is in St. Elizabeth. And uh, everything was captured on camera, of course. And he decided that it was funny to put his hand literally in the lion's mouth and play around with this lion. The lion didn't think it was too funny. And so he took off a finger. That's what you get. Lesson learned. Um, the company that owns the zoo is claiming I mean, that they have, <laughs> the company that owns the zoo is claiming that they have nothing to do with this. They're like, nope, 
Uh, we're not taking any responsibility. He's a subcontractor. <laughs> oh, he's been demoted. Oh, yeah, exactly. Also, like now that now the lion has human blood, it's going to be like, what's that? What was that Val Kilmer movie? <laughs> Tasty. Where, like, you know, where like all the lions were like eating the people anyway. Okay. <laughs> I, I didn't see that one. But, um, apocalypse. In other uh, news, Monkeypox, which we've been watching very, very carefully, has now made it to Miami. What? Miami. I'm good. sorry. It wasn't my fault. I didn't mean to. Wait, here we go. Stand by. Monkeypox has now made it to... Miami. Miami. Uh, okay. And then after that, I play this one. <laughs> uh, you got your own sound effects. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I got my little mini board. Hey, here. listen. Uh, the government sent out an advisory on Friday. At least they're ahead of the, you know, the health uh, department. Yeah, right. Sent out. Might have days before that, but definitely. Mm -hmm. not well, a, not a good situation. So everybody's um, keeping an eye on it, and we're gonna probably discuss it a little bit later on as well. So yeah, it's kind of scary amazing. actually. It looks grim. Uh, Finally, mask mandates are returning to Jamaica. Jamaica what is said mask mandates. With the increase in COVID numbers, uh, the, the Prime Minister, Andrew Holness, said that his government plans to reinstate the mask wearing mandate. So, yep, it's coming back, folks. Well, we all knew that. Now you should play your, your sound. Yeah, <laughs> Monkeypox mandates next. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. sometimes you just uh, leave it in place, and then people don't get disappointed even more. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the way, that right, guys, have a fabulous day. I gotta run. Yeah, really quick. By the way, Ghost in the the Ghost in the Darkness. That was a film I was talking about with Dal Keller. Uh, you watch it; it's really all good. right. <laughs> uh, catch Sandy's show right now on Bobo eighty nine point one FM. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye, Sandy. Bye, guys. Have a good one. All right, folks. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Rise and shine. We got a few minutes before we're going to kick off live here. Uh, let me just grab my social media links. Sorrel, ginger, beaver grass, or English. Get it ready. Your morning tea just got hotter. Ooh, honey chow. On the cold hard truth, Bobo 89.1 and Cayman's number one talk show are bringing you morning talk like no one else. Monday Rewind, Impact Wednesdays, Caribbean Connections, and much more. Don't miss a beat with what's happening in the local community. Just keep sipping your tea. What a mess. Here's your host, live and direct from the Cayman Islands, Sandy Hill. Man, rise and shine. It is Monday morning. Let's get it. Get up, get up, get up. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. Uh, let me plug in the studio phone because I know we're bound to have some phone calls this morning. We've got some special guests who will be joining us in the studio. Um, let me just say good morning to one and good morning to all. Hopefully no audio issues this morning, but do let me know. 
how we're sounding on Bobo 89.1 FM, Keyman's number one radio show, number one radio um, station for talk radio. You guys are enjoying the different programs that Bobo 89.1 is offering throughout the day. And also, um, you know, into the weekend, got lots and lots of news features. So we've got Miss Virtuous, who is joining us here. Thank you so much, Miss Vernita, for joining us. We've got Marshall joining us from North Carolina. Diamond Princess is right here in Savannah. Wee Wee is also joining us. Miss uh, Rita, good morning to you. Miss Morna joining us from Prospect. Uh, Robert got it locked <clears throat> here on uh, Bobo 89.1 in the cold hard truth. Uh, Robert Ebanks, you and I might be some kind of family because, you know, 23andMe has uh, informed me that I'm, a, I'm related to a lot of the Ebankses. What do you know? Of course, they're like related to everybody, I think, right? Uh, Gina, good morning. Melita is also here. Got it locked. And of course, Irvlin doesn't miss a beat. So good morning to all of you. We're going to be talking <clears throat> this morning, Felicia, good morning, with our guests who are um, joining us from the uh, Cayman Islands Border Control um yep we've got mr um charles clifford we've got garfield wong and um joelle is it scott let me just make sure i get his full name correct so they're also going to um joey scott my apologies uh so garfield wong joey scott and charles clifford are all going to be here this morning we're going to be talking about migration um the cuban migration situation so get your questions and comments ready for a guest we, they do have limited time so we're going to kick off um i do see one guest that's in the studio waiting so we'll give the other two just a little bit uh, maybe a quick minute and then we'll begin the conversation so aliano good morning to you good morning to john john says say hello to me i am here yes john good morning and good morning to aliano and siobhan is also here we have our regular crew that every single morning, they always say good morning, and we try to say good morning back to every single person who takes the time to do so. Just a little bit of manners. We all know Caribbean people, especially Caymanians, uh, believe in having some good manners. So thank you guys uh, so much. You might notice that I'm actually sitting down this morning. Well, maybe you don't, because <laughs> I don't know that you can see that. But most mornings I stand up to do the show. Because I figure, well, I've been lying down all night, you know, stand up for a couple hours, get the blood flowing. But um, I had a little bit of a tummy ache yesterday, and it's kind of still lingering with me. So I just had a little dose of Pepto-Bismol. Um, and you should you should have seen an expression on my face when I have to drink Pepto-Bismol. My daughter's like, you don't like that one? It tastes like candy to me. And I'm like... I don't know what kind of candy you like, but Pepto-Bismol is definitely not candy, folks. Good morning to um, Ms. Bonnie Lee, joining us from uh, the beautiful district of East End. Quincy, joining us from Cayman Brack. Uh, Kalis Gray, good morning to you. Good morning to Jackie. And Damien, joining us from Little Cayman. So we've got listeners all over the world, already 153 people on the live stream uh, joining us from everywhere. So good morning to Yvette as well. So let's go ahead and jump in with uh, Mr. Charles Clifford. Hopefully we could have uh, the other two guests uh, join us here quickly. So in case you don't know Charles Clifford, AKA Chucky, he has a long history of enforcement um, behind him. He's been in tourism, he was a government minister, and now he's the director of customs and border control. So really, really important uh, position. We do have hopefully his deputy director, Mr. Garfield Wong, an assistant director, Joey Scott, who will be um, joining us as well here in a second. So good morning, Mr. Clifford. Good morning, Sandra. Good morning to your listeners on Bobo and those watching us on social media. 
Thank you so much for joining us. I do see um, Mr. Wong having a little bit of an issue getting in. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just refer him to um, Kevin who can give him some assistance on the back end um, with hopefully accessing the feed. So let's just get you onto Kevin. Just give me one second there and we'll get this conversation started. Yeah, normally it's pretty easy. It's just a little link, but sometimes uh, some difficulty. So Magdalene says, drink some, what is this, Angostura bitters and hot water. I don't even know what that is. What is that? Ooh, sounds interesting. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll have to check that out. Let me know where I can get it, of course. And then, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not opposed to drinking anything that's going to settle my stomach, that's for sure. All right, folks, um, let's get started. So we're going to be talking about Cuban migrants. First of all, uh, Mr. Clifford, thank you so much again for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join the program this morning. Can you give us a brief synopsis on um, where we're at with the Cuban migrants at the moment? Because it seems like we've had a, quite an increase in the last mm, maybe eight to nine months. But specific to 2022, what are our current figures? So our current figures, uh, Sandra, and, and good morning to you and your listeners again, and those watching on social media. The current figures are at 173. And as you know, since the beginning of this year, we've had um, the majority of those uh, migrants arrive in Cayman. So I just wanted to sort of put the discussion in context, if I could just take a few minutes to, uh -huh. to explain a few things. So I know that some people and have listened to some of the questions and read some of the comments online some people believe that we can take a sort of ad hoc approach to this situation when in fact we can't because these these issues and how we process and manage migrants um, are managed through the legal process and the legal provisions are contained in the Customs and Border Control Act and the Cayman Islands Constitution of course um, under the Bill of Rights and those two documents essentially ensure our compliance with the International Convention on the status and treatment of refugees. The United Kingdom is a signatory to that treaty and they have extended the treaty to their overseas territories, all of their British overseas territories, including the Cayman Islands. So we have to comply with that treaty. Um, I've also heard comments that the majority of, of migrants arriving in, in the Cayman Islands are economic migrants, and that is true. But in order to determine that we have to afford them due process and there's an application process and an assessment process and then an, a decision making process that determines whether they're economic refugees or in fact fleeing from political persecution so unless we put them through that process we can't make a proper determination as to which category they fall in and so that takes a little bit of time Mm -hmm. I've also heard some comments about, uh, well, why don't we just put the Coast Guard out there and intercept them when they're coming in? Uh, well, it, it's and, and we're happy to take whatever suggestions that the public may have, but it's not quite as simple as that, because even if we put our Coast Guard out there to intercept migrants who are coming in, uh, they still have to bring them to Cayman to process them. So we still have to process them here. Mm. And what that would be doing is essentially taking resources away from from things that are, are more important in terms of uh, fighting the, the drug trade and stopping illegal drugs from coming in. So 
I say all of that to say that, uh, you know, when migrants arrive here, and I've also heard comments that we should simply turn them back, but the majority of them who are arriving here are arriving on unseaworthy vessels. Mm -hmm. Many of them are severely dehydrated, and some of them are injured, and we simply can't turn them back in those circumstances. Uh, I think if we were to do, th do so, we would be facing the condemnation of a number of international bodies and a number of countries. And I'm sure that there would be interest groups such as Cuban-Americans and other Latinos that would boycott the Cayman Islands if we took such an approach because we would be in breach of our own laws as well as the International Convention on the Treatment of Refugees. So those are just some of the things I wanted to speak to initially. And I've also heard comments um, online and read some comments about uh, how migrants are treated vis-a-vis uh, -vis Caymanians who are in need. And I just wanted to, to say that, that while I understand that that is a, a legitimate discussion for members of the public to have, uh, Customs and Border Control is a department that is responsible for implementing border control policy. And that policy or those policies include the management of, of migrants. So we have other, other government agencies that deal with the sort of general welfare issues um, and social issues, but mm -hmm. that's not the responsibility of CBC. So I just, I just wanted to make that point. Mm -hmm. And the final point in terms of, of sort of my, my uh, summary of where we are at the moment is that we do have a mass migration contingency plan. And given the current trend of arrivals, uh, we felt that uh, given all the information we have, all the trends that we see in the region, that it was time to activate the mass migration contingency plan, which then makes it a multi-agency approach to how we manage the situation and not just a CBC approach. Because once we get into mass migration, it is simply too much for one agency to handle. And we then require other agencies, such as the police, such as the Public Works Department, the Health Services Authority, a whole slew of government agencies are on board to assist during a mass migration situation. Mm -hmm. uh, Sandra, you may have seen and your viewers may have read uh, the most recent press release that we sent out mm -hmm. in relation to mass migration and how that is impacting the entire region. So we've seen, for instance, in the Washington Post where 63,000 Cubans were intercepted at the Mexico-US border in the month of March alone. And many of those Cubans would have tracked up through Honduras and Nicaragua and Mexico, of course, into the United States. And while we're focusing on Cuban migration this morning, we have our fellow overseas um, uh, territories such as the Turks and Caicos Islands, mm -hmm. who are also having struggles, not with Cuban migration, but with migration from Haiti. And we also have uh, similar issues in Jamaica where they're getting a number of Haitian refugees as well. So, so this is a regional issue and um, we're here to talk about it and to answer whatever questions the public may have. But I just wanted to sort of put the discussion in context at this point. Yes, absolutely. And not only, I mean, regional in the sense that it's impacting, you know, even Miami this morning, I'm reading some headlines that just yesterday, uh, two boats actually went into uh, Miami again, one um, turned over. Um, and, you know, you're talking about the situation with the Haitians again, um, you know, there's a headline this morning talking about the deadly voyage that people are trying to take from Haiti where they're risking their lives to try to get to the U.S. if they can. 
So uh, one person said, either you die or, su or you succeed. And that's Haiti's Northwest Coast bonds migration tied to Florida. So it is uh, a situation, not just with the Florida coast, but of course, um, Cuban migrants and others going through uh, California and trying to cross across, across into the Mexican, uh, from the Mexican border as well. Mm -hmm. So um, very, very interesting times. Of course, economic tough times tend to, um, you know, uh, encourage migration, illegal migration around the world. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a war also that's going on, obviously in Ukraine, and there are people there who are, are seeking to migrate elsewhere. So this is a, this is something that I suppose um, mm -hmm. border control agencies around the world uh, have to deal with on a regular basis. But this is a, is a definite increase for the Cayman Islands. What are some of our highest numbers that we've ever seen? Are we looking at uh, potentially surpassing? I think the height of what we saw, would that have been in the late 80s, early 90s? Since 1994, we had 1,100 um, migrants here over a relatively short period of time. So that's right. when the tent city was established. Right. Um, and there were significant challenges back then in terms of managing that situation. Mm -hmm. uh, given what we're seeing with the current trends, we're, we're concerned about it, which is why we've activated our plan. Yes. Uh, we hope we don't reach those numbers. But, you know, back in 94, we didn't have the demands on, on law enforcement and other government agencies that we do today. Uh, and so I, I've made the point that perhaps four to 500 migrants here could present the same level of challenges that we had in 1994 mm -hmm. with uh, 1,100 migrants because we have so many other issues that we're dealing with at the moment from a law enforcement, from health services point of view, just all around their, their additional demands, um, many more demands on government services than they would have been in 1994. So, so that's, that's a concern for us, definitely. Yeah. Wow. All right. And we do have uh, Mr. Garfield uh, Wong, who's joining us as well, Deputy Director. Uh, let me go ahead and pull him into the discussion this morning. Good morning, Mr. Garfield. Good morning. How are you? We're good. How are you doing? Good, good. Wonderful. Morning, sir. We had a little uh, technical difficulty here. That's okay. And, and guess what? You don't have to put on your mask because we're all virtual. <laughs> <laughs> if I could, um, if I could just say that Mr. Wong is in charge of our port operations portfolio, under which yes. our migration management section falls, and Assistant Director Joey Scott, who I think is still trying to get into the studio. Uh, he's actually coming up here to join me. So. I see. Okay, so Joey is in charge of our, migra our migration management section. So both of uh -huh. these gentlemen will be able to contribute um, significantly to the discussion uh, this morning. Right. And uh, last week, we got some figures that became available on sort of what it's costing us um, as the Cayman Islands government to, um, you know, sort of handle the migrant, the current Cuban migrant situation. Can we get a breakdown with those figures? Because we had a lot of questions here in the program. People saying, well, what does that include? Um, is that just food and housing? What sort of um, breakdown are you able to give us this morning? Okay, so I'll just start that discussion and then Mr. Wong and Mr. Scott can, can extend on, on the comments, on my comments. But the in the press release that we sent out, we indicated that the cost per migrant per day is in the region of 100 to $150. And that includes housing, food, security, medical costs, and other ancillary costs. For instance, while we haven't had uh, recently any um, infants coming in or elderly people coming in, those people require uh, extra care and uh, in relation to accommodations, their specific needs. 
Sometime in, in, sometimes in the past, we've had pregnant women arriving. So those all require additional resources and, and are managed in different ways, which contribute to the cost. So mm-hmm. in general terms, it's in the region of 100 to $150 per day per migrant. Um, and I'll just invite Mr. Wong or Mr. Scott to, to comment further on that. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, a slight, a, a little breakdown for you, Sandra. Um, it's costing us approximately four to three thousand per month on rental units. Um, you know, we we have migrants out there in various rental agencies: uh, Georgetown, Frankstown, Northside, Bodentown, East End. Um, like Mr. Clifford said, uh, it costs us about $150 per, per migrant um, per day. Uh, last month, we paid up to $14,000 on just food cards alone for the migrants. Um, security at the IDC is another high cost. Um, we're looking probably at about fifteen, sixteen thousand per month, and and we know that that's going to increase because we now have uh, some of the migrants housed at one of the um, facilities, the the, the hurricane facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, right now we have thirty-five in Gunby at the hurricane shelter, seven to eight at the CBC reception area. Uh-huh. And we have six to people in rental apartments uh, throughout the island. Um, we have a total of 173 Cubans. There are uh-huh. 17 females and 156 males. The oldest out of this is 69 years old, mm-hmm. and the youngest being 18 years old. Right. I can I, I can give you a little uh, breakdown as to what we've done so far in relation to um, speaking to them about their current situation. Uh, where we have interviewed a total of six to seven of them for this year alone. Mm-hmm. And that is ongoing. And Sandra, that's part of the, the interview that Mr. Wong just mentioned is part of the processing of the migrants to determine um, whether or not they qualify uh, for political asylum here. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to, to say to say something um, in relation to the accommodation as well. The accommodation uh, of the migrants is a challenge for us, not just from a financial point of view, but just simply from a physical point of view in that we, as we know, we know what the rental market is at the moment and we know where it is in terms of cost and availability. So availability is an issue. We have um, significant reluctance by landlords to rent uh, their properties for, for migrant accommodation. So those are all challenges for us. And as the numbers continue to increase, then we would realize that uh, rented accommodation is not a practical or affordable option. 
mm. if we get if we get the numbers or anywhere near the numbers uh, that we had in 1994 then clearly we need an alternative facility uh, to house them in because rented accommodation would not be an option it doesn't mean that it's not going to be a cost associated with that of course it is um, but it would have to be alternative accommodation and that is something that our ministry is working on at the moment uh, we are mindful as Mr. Wong said, that we have some of our migrants in one of the civic centers uh -huh. uh, at the moment, because under the mass migration contingency plan, we have identified four civic centers uh, for short term use in the event that we had a sudden influx of migrants. But we are mindful that we are entering the hurricane season and the primary use of those civil uh, sorry, civ civic centers during hurricane season uh, would be for residents in the event that they need them for shelter. Uh -huh. We have different categories of hurricane shelters. We have the category A, which is to house people during a hurricane, and then the category B shelters, which would be to house people after a hurricane. If they if they were staying in their own houses during a hurricane and they got damaged, then we would take them into the B shelters after the hurricane has passed. So we're looking at all of that inventory and looking at alternative accommodation, which, as uh -huh. I said, our, our ministry is leading on, and we expect to to have something in place in terms of alternative accommodation in the in the relatively short term so that we can free up the the civic center that is now being used uh for the uh, in terms of handing that back over to the community for their use uh as a as a fyi mr scott is here with me also so if you... okay thanks Gary. morning Gary. Yes, good morning. Um, so we do have a couple questions that are coming in. We have Olga uh, who sends us some messages. Says, "Buenos dias, Sandy. The lofos are mis hijos. Y'all have to excuse my Spanish. Viven en Cayman, desde Orlando, Susi te vio siempre." So remember, folks. Um, any any time you, you write in Spanish, if you're using any sort of uh, Spanglish or, or Spanish slang, I'm less likely to understand every word, but it looks like Olga is basically just saying good morning, that she has um, sons living in Cayman from Orlando um, and that she's always watching. I don't know what, uh, I don't know what the lofos means exactly, but um, good morning to Quincy who sends his greetings. So uh, Damien has a question. He says, even in international waters, this is in relation to um, what Mr. Clifford was saying this morning. So outside of 12 nautical miles. So what, what is the position depending on where the Cuban migrants are actually located? So if they're in international waters, but they're in trouble, do you not have a, a legal obligation to assist them as well? So first of all, if they're in international waters, we don't have any jurisdiction um, okay. in those circumstances. If they're in our territorial waters and we intercept them there, as some people have suggested, as I said earlier, we still have to bring them to Cayman uh, for the processing. So we, we can't simply return them to Cuba. That's not an option. There are protocols in place. And as I said earlier at the beginning of the discussion, we have legal obligations under our own laws, under our constitution, and under the International Convention on the Status and Treatment of Refugees. So. Um, intercepting them within our waters is, is really not going to, to help in any way. Uh, it's just going to take resources away that we should be uh, deployed or that should be deployed in other areas on, um, on drug interdiction duties. So 
those are some points that I think are, are very, very important because I believe that some people um, incorrectly think that if we took them on board one of our Coast Guard vessels, uh-huh. we could simply return them to Cuba and that's simply not, not a legal option. Right. So folks, the telephone number to join the program with any questions or comments is 936-2626. Again, that's 936-BOBO. Um, Al- Aliano has a uh, question and comment this morning. He says the theme here is simple, that there's no way to stop them from coming. Yes, but when they're here, how are they contained, processed, and how long do they stay in lockdown in the system, eating up the resources, um, days, months, years, what is the number? So let's just walk walk through this because one of the complaints that we've been receiving recently is that Cubans who you know just arrived in our shores are seen walking around in the district and people have concerns about that. Are they still quarantining, um, Mr. Clifford, if they come in because of COVID reasons or are they here today and they're able to go grocery shopping on their own tomorrow? So to that last question, the answer is no. So when they arrive in Cayman, they have to be processed in, the cor- in accordance with our COVID-19 protocols. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, there's the initial processing, with it, which involves a number of things, including fingerprinting, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, and then the interview process. So at some point during that process, and Mr. Scott or Mr. Wong will expand on this, they're then essentially released um, from that process while their applications are pending. Now, the question from the from the caller or from the person who posted online was sort of a general question about timing and timing can be dictated by a number of things. So when they apply for asylum, um, if the application is turned down by myself as director, that might be the end of the matter. And the migrant would then be repatriated to Cuba in accordance with the memorandum of understanding between the governments of the Cayman Islands and Cuba. If they, however, choose to appeal my decision, then that goes to the Refugee Protection Appeals Tribunal, and they would then consider the matter and make a decision. Now, even in that scenario, Sandra, and you would appreciate this, um, they also have the option, uh, depending on what advice they have, to file for judicial review in the courts of the Cayman Islands. And therein lies the significant delay that happens between the the, the two-tier appeal process and getting a final determination on their application, it can take a significant amount of time. So mm-hmm. I say all of that to say that it could vary from a relatively short period of time where, where the person is not appealing to a much longer period of time where they're going through the appeal process. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in relation to sort of the other details about the processing, I'd invite Mr. Wong and Mr. Scott to, to expand on my comments. Comments and All right. So um looks like we're looking at a window, so I'm not quite sure if they're still with us. Um, can you guys hear us okay? Uh, yes, we, we're, we're still here. Okay. I, I think that you might just have to um because both of you are trying to use a camera, it looks like in it's in vertical mode. You might just have to focus on one person for, for now. Or right, there you go. All right. Um, we're still not seeing you, but um, just yeah, just move, move it over, and and we can probably see you. Yeah, in that rotation, that's good. <laughs> so. oh. All right, <laughs> we're 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 getting there. There All right. we go. We can see you now. Uh, well, a, we can a little, see a little bit. We can, we can <laughs> the volume has gone down, though. I'm not sure what happened. No, we can hear you perfectly fine. So we were we were just um. We were just discussing um, 
a little bit of, uh, you know, the processing of what occurs. So, of course, uh, Mr. Clifford was explaining to our listeners that, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where um, it, it really is a case-by-case basis because it does depend. Mr. Wong? Uh, Sandra, we can... Let me let me just see her. All right, I'm gonna just pull you out of the studio for a quick okay. second, and then um, I'll, I'll. I can just continue, on Sandra. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I'll give I'll give Kevin an opportunity to maybe try to get them sorted out. But okay. um, so we do have additional questions. So one person has made the comment that obviously, um, you know, that if you have a hurricane, uh, we have less capacity for locals because we're housing persons there, and they're asking, what about using tent city? Now, tell us a little bit. I've heard this term, tent city. Can you tell us a little bit about where that's located and what's the feasibility of using that at this time? All right. So as I mentioned earlier, our ministry, the Ministry of uh, Border Control and Labor, is leading on that project. So they're looking at at a few sites, and um, there is one that that is in close proximity to to northward. And... um, that may or may not be the preferred site. I know that we often refer to this as tent city. We prefer mm-hmm. to, to refer to it as alternate uh, migrant accommodation because it may or may not take the form of a tent city. There are other types of um, construction that can be used and put in place over a relatively short period of time uh, that would be more secure than a tent city because we, mm-hmm. we have to consider what would happen during a hurricane, if we had a tent city, um, where do we put the migrants? I made sort of reference to that earlier in terms of using some of the category B hurricane shelters in the event that we need to move them during a hurricane. But we certainly expect that um, before the peak of the season, we will have them well before the peak of the season, we'll have them out of the civic center that they're currently in. So that's one of the sort of split sites that we're using at the moment. Right. Another question is, um, again, in reference to how we process them, uh, someone says, what would the government position be if the Cubans decided that they want to move on and have transportation from here? And I think this might have happened a couple of weeks ago where a batch came in to Cayman Brack and um, they, I guess, were they thought they were a seaworthy vessel and they wanted to continue on. So some persons uh, disembarked and then some continued only to find themselves in Grand Cayman a couple of days later having to mm-hmm. come off um, their vessel in any event. But if if they're out there and they say, nope, we don't want to come ashore, we want to continue our voyage, um, can we allow them to do that? Yeah, if they, if they make a decision not to come ashore um, and decide to continue their voyage, then we're not going to stop them. Uh, we've, that's happened in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you just mentioned, we had a situation very recently, which is not uncommon, where they decided to continue. And then by the time they got to Grand Cayman, their, their vessel was having difficulties, they were out of fuel, et cetera, and they came ashore in East End and then decided that they couldn't continue. Um, I, I should say that under the uh, International Convention, we are not supposed to and we don't aid them in, in continuing their voyage, hence the reason why we don't provide them with, if they, if they indicated to us that they want to continue their voyage, we're not going to aid them in going on to a third country in order to seek 
um, asylum because that is against the convention. The convention is very clear in that they are supposed to um, seek uh, political asylum if that's what they're looking for in the country that they arrived in first. Mm-hmm. So we're not we're not um, legally permitted to assist them in continuing their journey. But if they choose to continue their journey without mm-hmm. assistance, then we're not going to stop them. Right. Okay. All right, folks. So we've got uh, tons of questions coming in. So Ms. Moya says, does the application process investigate and confirm the status of their criminal records in Cuba? Anyone with a criminal record should not be granted any asylum. We have too many undesirables um, in our boards now causing too many issues with their bad morals and lack of proper social or proper society standards. So let me just, uh, this is an area of concern. Obviously, recently we had someone on this platform highlight that an individual who's here from Cuba is alleged to have um, committed a sexual offense against a minor and actually um, supposedly served time for that. Do these Cuban migrants travel with documentation? Like, do we really know who they are when they come ashore? Do they tend to have a government-issued ID, passport? What do they have on them typically? So usually when they arrive, they have a government-issued ID. It's a national identification that's issued in Cuba. Right. Um, and most of them have that when they arrive. Uh-huh. We, I mentioned earlier, Sandra, that during the initial processing, they're also fingerprinted. Uh-huh. So, of course, their backgrounds are going to be checked. And while I won't get into too much detail with that, um, there are people who arrive here with uh, criminal and they have criminal convictions. Uh-huh. And um, that is something that's considered during the application process for asylum mm-hmm. and I, I won't take that discussion beyond that and I'm not going to to comment on the individual case that you mentioned because that's yeah. that's going through the process right. and I don't want to pro- uh, prejudice any decisions that may be made in, in relation to that right so do we have a fast rule that if you have a criminal conviction that you can't get asylum or is it a case-by-case basis it's a case-by-case basis because again depending on the nature of the conviction Mm-hmm. and whether or not the person is otherwise entitled to, to asylum. Um, those are, All of those factors are taken into consideration in terms of, of a final decision. Um, but I'll just say this, it's not going to help someone if they have a, a criminal conviction. Right. All right, let's go ahead and uh, bring um, the other two parties back in. So we do have, again, Deputy Director uh, Mr. Garfield Wong being joined by Mr. Uh, Joey Scott as well who is the, um, Joey, remind me of your proper title, please. I'm the assistant director. Assistant director, right. Um, Now, uh, Mr. Scott, your specific area of responsibility includes, um, let me just pull up what Mr. Clifford had sent me yesterday. My apologies. The migration management. Migration, yes. Mr. Scott Um, is responsible for that section. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about the migration management section. Right. So basically what we do is um, we, we process all of the migrants from arrival to departure um, or integration, depending on the outcome of their um, of their asylum applications, really. So every facet of that is, is my responsibility. Mm-hmm. All right. Now we do have um, let, let's talk a little bit about that, because we oftentimes here have individuals um, who contact us as a first point of contact, uh, making inquiries about um, their Cuban relatives. A lot of times they don't know if they have moved on to um, Miami or if there's something else uh, that has happened to them. So they tend to be extremely concerned about whether or not they've made it safely to our shores. And the first question that we always get is how can I reach or how can I talk
talk to um, my loved ones? What is the process if a Cuban migrant arrives here and how they can communicate and speak to persons uh, on the outside? Well, I'll, I'll say this. Um, for all the persons who arrive and land here and disembark, uh, within a very short order, they're allowed to make telephone calls uh, at the government's mm -hmm. expense. We do pay for telephone calls for them um, frequently. So there's also the concern with human trafficking that we also have to bear in the back of our minds. And we don't give out any information to any third party uh, mm. as per se. Now, in some circumstances, we've been contacted by authorities overseas and we can provide information to them in a, on a limited capacity. But mm. to just a, a concerned family member, we, we can't divulge who is here, who is not here, conditions. Um, and if they wish to call them, they certainly have the opportunity to call any person that they wish to once they're released from custody, which is right. usually in relatively short order. Okay, we do have a caller to the program. Good morning, Colin. Welcome to the Cohort Truth. Yes, good morning. 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 Yeah, yeah, good morning. Um, Barry speaking here. Um, first of all, I'd like to say, uh, good to see the, the, Mr. Clifford and, and the other gentlemen on the panel, um, definitely they have a task ahead of them. And I think they're doing a great job. Um, nevertheless, uh, I think the biggest problem that we have today is, as, as we know about the, the U.S. border, the actual fiasco, self-inflicted uh, situation over there. Mm. They had the problem, 95% showed up the other day. Apparently, that was the wrong thing to continue. Now it's causing the U.S. taxpayers billions of dollars. And, and I think that is also contributing to um, the ongoing problem. Mm -hmm. As you know, right now, you actually help people, uh, I'm sorry, countries, you now actually entering some of their prisons because now you can legally, you can legally illegal uh, enter the United States with the help of the U.S. government, and and it, it, and, and it's uh, it's I've, it shouldn't be a surprise that that we're going to see an increase in our area, and mm -hmm. uh, with the Cuban migrants, and and the sad part about it is, you know, they're not all migrants because now what they're finding out is that you actually have people from actual middle class or even higher that actually that they can actually circumvent the proper way of going into the state legally because it's if you can pay the right price it's it's worthwhile if you're a terrorist or if you're uh, whatever mm -hmm. you can actually get into the u.s with the help of the american government presently and get you know put in hotels and redistributed to other countries uh, other states overnight, and, and I think all of this is contributing to the to the um, to, um, the situation. But these gentlemen, these three gentlemen, and the departments does have a challenge. But I think they're capable of of of, uh, of dealing with the challenge, and um, they'll make proper decisions. And, and and to be honest, those that know me knows that I'm also. Uh, Without being biased, I'm not the mainstream media. Uh -huh. Without being biased, I do work for the same department. Uh 
Mm-hmm. But having seen these gentlemen work, I think they're capable of of uh, dealing with the situation. Mm-hmm. Although I think it, it, it will be a challenge. And yes. congrats, guys, for coming on the show. Thank you so much. We've Thank been- you, Barry. Thank you. Um, Sandra, can I just comment on the, on sure. the whole issue of the U.S.? Um, I, I think, you know, we often look at these situations and we ask ourselves, what is the what is the pull factor? What has caused this sudden influx? Mm-hmm. Um, and the truth of the matter is it does have to do with, with U.S. policy in relation to, to migration and mm-hmm. uh, more, more liberal border control policies in the U.S. So that's what's driving a lot of this. Uh, that's what's driving the migration not just from Cuba, but from other countries, because when you see the nationalities that are going across the U.S. border from Mexico, it's not just Cubans. There are people from around the world, uh, from all over the world, from Eastern Europe and all over. So this is definitely one of the one of the issues that's driving the current trend. So when we look at it and we look at it from an intelligence point of view, we believe uh, that the trend is likely to continue at least for the next several months. Well, I mean, the interesting thing about it is probably one key factor other than COVID in, in the economy is that Nicaragua has actually opened up. Um, not so much what the U.S. has done, but Nicaragua has, for example, allowed Cuban migrants to enter into their country without the necessity to even have a visa. So they're now using that as um, you know, a transport point to cut off going through you know, what would otherwise be very dangerous uh, jungle territory in order to try to get into the U.S. Um, illegally. And um, it, it's a difficult situation. We saw recently where Jamaica said, and it impacted, of course, our national airline, where Jamaica said no more, that they were not going to allow or permit them to, um, you know, come from a Cayman Airways flight onto, um, onto Air Jamaica, or I guess even at their, pass, their, um, their airport. So do we have the ability, I mean, I guess we don't, because again, we're tied into these international um sort of treaties that we have signed on because of our relationship with the UK, but you know, Jamaica has more of a sovereign position that they can take. So I'm, I'm assuming we can't just adopt a new policy like Jamaica has where it says, you know, we're not gonna allow any Cuban nationals on our national airline because we know that they're using it as a transport point. Well, the, I just wanted to make a point on, on the Jamaica decision. That was only a very brief decision. So they suspended it for okay. a short period of time. Yeah. Um, and and it has continued, I think um I think they may have suspended that option for about a week or two, but it has resumed uh, because the the Cubans who are transiting from Cayman to Jamaica and then on to Nicaragua um, are doing so on commercial airlines. It's considered mm-hmm. legitimate travel, and Jamaica decided that, um, that it would continue. So, I mean, what you mentioned in relation to the Nicaragua situation and the lifting of the visa requirement there for Cuban nationals, that has certainly contributed as well. Mm-hmm. Um, to the migration issue um, from Cuba going into the U.S. So, you know, once they get to Nicaragua, then they track up through the land, through Mexico, into the U.S. So th- those are all contributing factors that that, um, that we're looking at. And when you consider all of that, you realize that these are things that are outside of our control. Mm-hmm. And so um, when they arrive here on our shores, we have to manage them, as I said, in accordance with our laws our constitution and the international convention on refugees. So, so that's where we are at the moment. It's a challenge um, and it's going to continue to be a challenge. We hope that this trend doesn't continue, but we believe that it's going to continue uh, for the, certainly for the, for the next several months. Right. So-
So um, according to news out of Miami, Cuba is facing the worst economic crisis since the Soviet Union collapsed. Uh, widespread shortages of food and medicine, thousands of Cubans trying to reach the U.S. About, uh, about three or four weeks ago, the U.S. government, actually, the Biden administration had a meeting with high-level Cuban officials, which was the first one uh, since he took office and the first one in a number of years. And of course, they're now looking at loosening up policy uh, that would help the Cuban people because of course the Trump administration actually did a bit of a reverse um, and took away you know, a lot of the uh, helpful policies, some people say helpful policies in terms of the Cuban family reunification parole program, which um, allowed Cubans outside of Cuba to have freer access uh, to their family, travel back and forth that was brought in under the um, Obama administration. So, you know, the Trump administration did away with that and made travel to Cuba a lot more difficult. So now we understand that as of uh, May the 17th, um, so just about a week or so ago, the Biden administration is actually restoring flights to Cuba cities um, other than Havana and reestablishing that family reunification program, which had been suspended for years. So this comes after, again, um, a review of, um, you know, U.S. policy towards Cuba and this meeting that was held several weeks ago with high-level administrators um, and the Cuban government. So very, very interesting. I guess we'll see uh, more changes to come. And, um, you know, the country has been in a state of, uh, Cuba that is, in a state of turmoil for quite some time now because of COVID and other uh, economic concerns. So uh, Moya is asking about why we allow them to uh, freely roam. So this is one of those things. They used to have, um, uh, the, what do we call them, the tracking devices. Is it, is it the case that they no longer tracked in any way once um, they've been initially processed? Right, so I'm gonna ask Mr. Scott and Mr. Wong to comment on this, but uh, yeah, you're correct. So initially we would, we would attach the electronic monitors to them. Um, over time, we, we had legal advice on that matter because that too was challenged. And because they are no longer in legal custody at that point, um, having been processed and, and assessed and their applications are pending at that stage, uh, we, we had to remove the, the monitors. It is something that, um, that we're looking at because I think there are a number of internal policies that we may be able to approve, uh, sorry, improve in relation to the management of, of migrants, and that's that's one of them. But I'd invite Mr. Scott uh, in particular if you'd like to comment on that issue. Yes, absolutely. Um, Mr. Clifford said it perfectly. Based on legal advice we received, um, we had to amend the policy at the time. So at present, we no longer, uh, we no longer electronically monitor the migrants. Um, and that was based off of a constitutional challenge. Uh, we do still have some checks and balances. So the Cubans are temporarily admitted, which is a legal process that allows them to be in the island without being landed. Uh, and they do have check-in times that they have to come and, and check in with us. So we have to basically sign them in and sign them back out again. And they're, they're free to go after that. Mm -hmm. so, so Sandra, it's important to note um, that the migrants are not prisoners. If they commit a criminal offense in Cayman, they may become a prisoner. But um, during this processing, they're not considered prisoners. So it, it's, they can't be managed in the same way that prisoners are managed. So mm -hmm. while, while I know that, um, that that has often been a, a point of contention, 
that is the legal position. So mm -hmm. we, we're right. going to have to depart yes. soon, Sandra, and we're trying to be as flexible as we can with our time. But yes. I just wanted to make sure that uh, my other colleagues um, has had an opportunity to comment on on all of the issues that they wanted to to raise because mm -hmm. um, I, I don't want to dominate the whole program. Yes, and we'll definitely have to have them back. One other um, critical question is, are they permitted to work? Mr. Scott, I'll ask you or Mr. Wong to answer that one. Uh, definitely not, Sandra. They, they, uh, they're here uh, as migrants. They landed illegally. They're not landed, so they're not able to work. Mm-hmm. So if anyone, and we've, we've heard this complaint, if anyone knows of Cubans that are out there working, we've, we've heard of vehicles going and picking them up um, in a group and taking them to work sites, construction and otherwise, that is something that should be reported to your enforcement unit? Yeah, that is correct. Be, yeah. It certainly should be. And I should, we should also make the point here, Sandra, that it is illegal to employ a migrant in Cayman. So mm -hmm. the, the individuals who are employing them need to understand that they're committing a criminal offense as well. Uh, that's an important point because if they're doing that, then clearly that um, individual, that migrant is taking a job that uh, Caymanian could be doing. So, so everyone needs to be aware of that and that there are consequences for committing those offenses. Uh -huh. All right. So good morning, um, Damaris. Miss Emma says no one can do this in their own country, not just us. Thank God that Caymanians can migrate anytime, pretty much anywhere, without having to do so under refugee status. Uh, many places take six or more years to process their immigrants. I would love to see the figures when it comes to Cayman Caymanians who migrate to England looking the same thing as the Cubans, a better life. So very interesting um, perspective. So Damien is asking, are they allowed to receive financial support from family through Western Union or, or MoneyGram, etc. So I'm assuming that once they're here, um, I'm guessing they can receive money from people, but oftentimes they're leaving family behind that probably are looking for them to send money back home, not the other way around, unless they have family like in the U.S. or something. Mr. Scott or Mr. Wong, you can take that question. Well, yes, absolutely, Sandra. They're, they're allowed. There's nothing wrong with them or illegal for them to receive funding. Um, from anywhere. Um, in, in fact, I would dare say that we would encourage funding for them. Um, so what we use basically to determine whether or not we fund a refugee or an asylum seeker is whether or not they can afford to sustain themselves. Now, we've had a number of applicants from outside of Cuba who the government has not supported um, simply because they were able to sustain themselves financially. Now, of course, Cuba is not the, the most um, abundantly wealthy country in the world, um, specifically the, the migrants that we see coming. Um, but a lot of them, and I mean a significant number, do have um, financially capable relatives, particularly from the U.S. Um, so that's, that's an interesting point. But yes, there's nothing illegal about that. Okay. All right, folks. So they're able to um, receive assistance if it is available to them. Uh, let me just see what other questions we have that have been coming in. Sandra, while, you, while you're looking at your yes. questions, um, I just wanted to add, because I know we, we spoke earlier on in the program about the condition of the vessels and that many of them are, uh, are unseaworthy. They might uh -huh. 
often arrive dehydrated and, and sometimes injured. I want to also say that, that based on our intelligence sources, uh, we know that some of the migrants never make it here. Many of them never make it to land once they depart Cuba. And we know that many of them have perished at sea. Mm. So uh, in terms of some of the discussion that's taking place in the public about turning them back and some of the other recommendations, mm -hmm. I, I just want people to think about that um, in, in the context of how we manage this situation. Um, you know, we, we, are, we are very fortunate in Cayman to, to have the type of country that we have, to live with all of the blessings that we have. Um, at one point in Cuba, it wasn't. It was a very successful country too. Mm. Uh, it has a, a large population. It is by far the largest Caribbean island with a population of just over 12 million, I believe it is. So I just want us to all, to all think about that too. And um, you know, God forbid that our country ever got to that point. But if it did, I would think that we would want whichever country is receiving us to treat us with some dignity and, mm. and to assist us in whatever way that we could. Having said that, you know, we have to do what we have to do within the legal framework to process these applications. And if they are not considered to, to be entitled to political asylum at the end of that assessment, then they're repatriated to Cuba. Right. Um, and, and how exactly does the repatriation process work? Can we hear a little bit more about that? Okay, so I'll ask Mr. Scott or Mr. Wong to, to answer that question. Yes, certainly. So to be repatriated, we actually have to receive permission from Cuban authorities. Um, that's a process that we use through diplomatic channels through the office of the deputy governor. Um, once Cuba gives us permission and barring any other legal impediments, such as an asylum application or other application, um, the, the persons are simply repatriated. Uh, is there any situation where Cuba might say we don't want a person back <laughs> and then we're stuck there, with them? There, there, there certainly is um, two situations. Um, mm -hmm. First being the in Cuba's domestic legislation, um, they lose citizenship if they're out of the country for two years. Now, mm -hmm. we, we have found this to be a, a challenge for us in repatriating unsuccessful asylum applicants because Obviously, they're no longer Cuban citizens, according to Cuban domestic legislation. However, wow. there's a process that you can renew or reapply for it, which is fairly straightforward. It's a multi-page form, um, and we've been successful in reapplying for a number of persons' citizenships and having them repatriated. Now, the second, which we found a little bit more difficult, is that Cuba does keep a record of each of their citizens. And we've had persons come on migrant boats directly from Cuba with other migrants. Um, and Cuba has said that they don't have a record of them being in the country, i.e. they have a record of them leaving. So they uh -huh. should not have been there. And that means they could not have come directly from Cuba. As part of our MOU, um, the last of which I believe was signed in 2018, uh -huh. uh, one of the conditions for Cuba to accept a migrant back is that they have to have come directly from Cuba. So you can't be a Cuba and come from Jamaica to Cayman and be able to, to avail yourself of that repatriation process. You have to come directly from Cuba. Oh, wow. So is it the case then that some persons may have, you know, left by boat and made it, say, to Jamaica or somewhere else first, stayed there for a time and then decided to come on to the Cayman Islands and then Cuba can't take them back? 
we, we don't suspect that that's the case. We suspect right. that either it's a glitch in Cuba's record system, right. um, or there is the possibility that somebody may have left and returned illegally. Um, that's not impossible. And then Cuba just does not have a record of that return. So when they leave illegally again, there's there's no way for Cuba to 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 verify the, that. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay. Sandra, um, um, we, we're going to have to wrap up very soon, but I want to make sure that um, there are no burning questions uh, outstanding before before we leave. Yes, I think people are just asking things like the the Foster's card that's hundred and fifty dollars per month. Um, how they're able to um, to survive on that. I'm not so sure that's a question for you necessarily. Well, I mean, if you consider that the government is is providing housing for everything them, else, yeah, and everything else, then uh, yeah, I mean that that's that's part of the the support that they get here as migrants. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do we have any figures on um, how many, like, what even percentage wise, how many people are getting asylum? Uh, versus how many are actually being repatriated and how often the repatriation process is occurring? Um, well, I, what I'll say is that the majority of uh, migrants arriving here um, have been assessed as, so far anyway, have been assessed as economic migrants. Uh -huh. And therefore, they were not um, granted political asylum. I don't have the actual percentages. I don't know if Mr. Scott does, but I can tell you that um, most of them are economic migrants. Okay. All right. Perhaps we can get that information just as a, as a follow-up by email. Well, thank you, uh, gentlemen, so much. We know that you guys are extremely busy um, keeping this country safe and keeping your borders safe. We did see some other questions coming in, not pertaining specifically to the Cuban situation, but duty and other things. So perhaps we can have you guys back on at some point to talk about some of those other aspects sure. of, uh, of border control. So thank you very much, Sandra, um, on behalf of me and my team and I want to, to thank your listeners and those watching on social media for all of their questions and comments. We hope we've been able to answer most of them. And um, at some point, we'll return to the program. We can talk about other CBC-related issues, such as Judy and, and other matters. Yep, absolutely. Okay. Thank all you. right, gentlemen. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you. All right. Have, have a good day. day. All right, folks. So um, again, our guests joining us from CBC this morning to talk a little bit about the Cuban migrant situation. Um, you know, this is a, a developing situation every single day. We sort of see, uh, you know, people coming in and different aspects of it. It's so interesting how our perspective, and I'm glad that our guests remind us of how incredibly fortunate we are living here in the Cayman Islands, one of the best places in the world to live. And if you've never uh, faced the the necessity of having to be a migrant or having to you know, want to live somewhere else other than your own home country, consider yourself extremely lucky. I know a lot of people sit back and they complain about you know life in the Cayman Islands being what it is and being so incredibly tough. Some have opted to move to the UK, for example. But guess what? You guys still have the choice. You've got a passport that allows you to move to the UK. And many of you move to the UK and you're relying on, on you know, social assistance over there and government uh, assistance. And uh, thank God that, again, that's an option because we are an overseas territory. Uh, people such as the Cubans don't have that option. They're either living in Cuba as a Cuban or they're trying to go somewhere else often illegally. And it doesn't mean that they're not good people. It certainly does not mean that they're not, um, you know, even qualified. Um, for assistance from family members overseas, 
but trying to change their immigration status where they can go and have more or better opportunities is uh, very, very challenging. So I think a, an amount of gratitude for what we have and understanding of, of the fact that other people simply do not have those options available to them. It's, it's, it's a real eye-opener. Uh, will certainly, I think, be humbling to all of us. So just continuing with your comments, uh, Mr. Amelia says, what, how, why can this be done here? And we Caymanians can't get this in their country. So I need a little bit of clarification about what can be done. Uh, Mr. Amelia says to take care of your own first and charity begins at home. But this isn't, in my opinion, a situation of charity. This is a situation where people are coming in as migrants and you have to handle that situation what's what's the alternative we're not being charitable towards them we are simply processing them in a legal way that's required by law um to me that's not really charity that's just <laughs> doing what what uh what needs to be done um and obviously people come on our shores they need to eat they need housing we can't you know have them be homeless on the streets and camping out at the beach like some others um, so yeah, help me, help me understand the logic here. Uh, Emma again, had some very salient points to make. Uh, Ms. Vernita is asking about fingerprinting. She says, oh, was I hearing right? We have or do fingerprinting. Uh, what about, um, fingerprinting or when will they offer fingerprinting for everyone in the near future? Hmm. Well, that's, that's a bit of a sticking point. Uh, we certainly look forward to um, hearing a bit more about that from CBC because it's it's something that I know we supposedly were spending money in a fingerprinting machine and then it never happened and perhaps uh, we're all a little bit confused on where that stands at the moment. So I do know that this government is working feverishly on um, getting a national ID ready. It's been something that has been promised for quite some time. I've actually seen a prototype of it. And it uh, looks like they're getting extremely close. So I don't know if it's going to happen this year or next year, but uh, it's coming soon. And it has some biometric features that will be integrated into that national ID. So as soon as we can get some more confirmed details, I'll certainly let you guys know about that. So KK, good morning. She was asking about baby milk being duty-free, um, such as NIDO. So I think a lot of these items, uh, remember this current government, has actually lifted the duty on a number of items, including baby products or baby food, uh, sanitary products for women and others. So um, I'd have to go back into my archives, but I do know for sure that there was a list of quite a few items that were uh, made duty-free. So yes, I think you should find that they are duty-free. Let's see if I can just find that article. So good morning to everyone. Wake up, wake up, wake up. It is Monday morning. You guys should be on your way to work now. It's 8.33 a.m. Uh, Damon says, yes, that's duty-free. And it's been so for quite some time. Um, KK says DHL is still charging when it comes, when items are brought in. So I'm rechecking. Hmm. Yeah, they shouldn't be charging duty if there's if the government isn't charging duty so i'm not sure what they're charging you for uh, a lot of these companies do have um you know they're charging all sorts of other stuff but um i don't know that it's necessarily duty so just double check and ensure that uh that that's correct right um 
Okay, just trying to see if I can find that article for you guys on, on the lifting of duty. I think it was sometime last year, late last year. Maria, good morning. Good morning to Olivia. Thank you so much. First Lady Jan is also joining us. Good morning. Nat B says, does this apply to Haiti who are in a similar position of uh, destitution? So um, yes, interestingly enough, and I don't, know, I don't know if we want to put this on the universe, but we don't really have a lot of Haitians who are making it to our shores yet. Um, but again, the Miami Herald headlines this morning include the fact that, um, you know, the, the situation with, with the Cuban, um, sorry, with the Haitian, Haitian migrants um, as being very, very desperate. We actually have a good connection with, um, uh, we actually have a really good connection with um, the, with the, um, the correspondent writer who covers Haitian news. Her name is Jacqueline Charles out of, uh, out of Miami. And she, um, she actually does a lot of the uh, writing for all of the Cuban news, essentially, uh, not Cuban, sorry, my apologies, all of the Haitian news. And so um, we could probably touch bases with her and see if she wants to come on the show and kind of give us an update on what's going on in relation to that. But here's a title, it says, uh, Haiti's um, Northwest Coast spawns migration tied to Florida. Uh, desperate Haitians take to the sea. They turn to voodoo to help guide their journeys. Did they change the spelling of voodoo? Why is it being spelled differently? Um, or is that the Haitian spelling of it? Hmm, interesting. So yes, a number of uh, really, really interesting articles. So um, my dear, you know, they believe in their voodoo stuff. So here we have um, 356 Haitians returning towards Florida battling six foot waves in the open seas 60 year old former sailor got a free seat because of his navigation and recruitment skills so again this is a story that was recently placed um, on may the 22nd which was just yesterday was updated so um such such an interesting situation that they're relying on uh i guess what they think will be a surefire way to get into the u.s um, here's another headline. Advocates don't know where Haitian refugees who arrive in the U.S. on boats end up. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. So, you know, Miami is a transport point, folks, for a lot of migrants. Uh, more than 1,400 have made it to the United States by boat since last October. This is according to a Miami Herald article, again, that was updated yesterday on the 22nd. Um, the majority of them landing uh, in Puerto Rico. But what happens to the migrants after they've been taken into US custody is often a mystery, says immigration advocates. So according to Randy uh, McGrorty, who's the executive director of the Miami-based Catholic Legal Services, he says that we don't know where they are. Okay. Um, they provide uh, free legal services to undocumented Haitians and other recent arrivals. And he says, we can't know the trends because we don't know where they are. Hmm. So customs in the U.S. has apprehended some 793 Haitian migrants in Puerto Rico and 657 migrants in Florida since October. And it appears that uh, 
I guess the U.S. government doesn't tell them what then happens. So uh, this uh, person goes on to say that many family members are calling us trying to get help locating their loved ones. And um, essentially, they simply don't know where they have been placed. What a mess. So the Department of Homeland Security losing people. <laughs> Go figure. Um, so there's that. Um, the Havana Times 17 hours ago did a whole article called The Great Exodus. Again, um, Cuba. So migrants leaving. Mm -mm. So this is an eight-part series under the title of Cuba, the island in flight. So, you know, we we sort of, uh, I know a lot of people have an opinion that, oh, they're not trying to come to Cayman. And I, I maintain my position. And I think, um, you know, we could have asked this of CBC this morning, but it appears that they're trying to go anywhere um, but Cuba. So if that means, you know, coming to the Cayman Islands or the U.S. or other places, this is definitely a point of, um, a point of entry that they are interested in. So this article says that uh, Cuba has become a country on the run and the current migratory exodus continues to uh, atomize a nation, sorry, atomize, autonomize, sorry, the nation, spreading its human capital and its traditions throughout the planet. And a lot of people are, are trying to leave. We even had a physician who reached out to us recently and he wants to leave the country as well. And he was willing to get in one of these boats. And we told him in no uncertain terms that that would mean repatriation back to his own country. So, um, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate situation. And, you know, whilst a lot of people seek to blame other countries for the migration woes in Cuba, and I, I suppose you could try to, you know, put some blame on the shoulder of the U.S. The truth of the matter is the Cuban government has to take some responsibility for this mass migration. But quite honestly, um, you know, I guess they're unbothered. Here's another article. Tourists return to Cuba, but is it enough for the island's economy? So, you know, the, the economy has really, really taken a hit, folks. And with that uh, comes the, the desire to want to leave. So KK says enough of them are looking for jobs and uh, Nilser is speaking about the $150 Foster's card. And again, Nilser, I'm glad that the, um, the head of the CBC put that in context because keep in mind, if someone gives you $150 Foster's card, but you don't have any other financial obligations, uh, it's not a whole lot of money, but it's still better than what you were getting in Cuba, is it not? Just saying. <laughs> Be grateful. Um, Vernita says, I pray for all the good frontline workers uh, who do all the great work that they're doing with limited resources. I'm sure they appreciate that. So Chantel says, no way you can live here without a job. How do they survive in Cayman? Well, Chantel, they're getting pretty much everything paid for. So they're getting housing, medical, everything else. And the food card is one of the additional benefits that they get. They also get um, you know, um, phone cards. So the ability to call people as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Nat B says, no one had an issue with the Cubans previously until they started becoming aggressive and violent with demands as if they are entitled, come across as ungrateful. Um, so Emma reminds us that Cuba makes up about 70 or 75% of the Caribbean population. Quite interesting. 
uh, Jared, they covered that earlier about the process and how it works. Uh, Terencia says, what about those that are being housed in Northside? Some got access to a car driving on the wrong side of the road and no lights that cause a serious accident. So Terencia, um, good point. And again, you know, I'm not sure if they're permitted to get a driver's license. Um, I'm not really sure. But in this case, this was an individual who didn't know how to drive. I'm not sure who loaned him a vehicle, but that would not be good uh, advice. And so, yes, he had he had no driver's license, didn't even know how to drive. And on top of that, was intoxicated. And that's how that accident happened. And he almost killed uh, the young lady whose vehicle he hit. So what a mess. Mm-mm-mm-mm. All right. Um, okay. All right. Very good. Uh, thank you guys so much. Uh, Kimmy says, good morning. You're off air. Yes. Thank you. I did not realize that I was off air, but I did see a message. Um, that's why I've got to keep an eye sometimes on the WhatsApp messages um, that I needed to reconnect. So it looks like our um, feed had somehow dropped. Um, so thank you for letting us know. Okay. Um, thank you, Anya. Bonnie says in England, people are able to get a good education to better themselves uh, for face life head on. I'm not sure what that means. So uh, let's be very, very clear, folks. Even in the UK, they're having migration issues. And, you know, a lot of UK citizens don't want y'all coming over there. They said they've had enough of people migrating from all over the world. Uh, these are, listen, let, let me just put this on the table and say this as, as plainly as I possibly can. Um, the necessity to uh, being an immigrant sometimes is outside of our control. We have to move. Caymanians have, you know, been in that position before where we have to go to whether it was the Bay Islands. We've had to go to Cuba even. You know, we've got relatives in Cuba. We've had to go to the U.S. Uh, our seamen had to go abroad to try to make it and to send money back home for their families. Uh, we have been part of that immigration and migration process throughout history. Uh, we've been fortunate enough to have created um you know, a bit of a situation here where more people want to come to the Cayman Islands than those who wish to leave the Cayman Islands, right? And it has to be a balancing act at the end of the day. So if you've ever been in a situation where you've lived in somebody else's country, I think you appreciate things a little bit differently. I have lived in someone else's country as an immigrant, um, as a you know guest student initially, and then as a guest worker in that country, eventually obtaining residency. And it's not an easy um, situation by any stretch of the imagination. And I do think that there are certain things that you appreciate once you have lived somewhere else, as opposed sometimes to like hearing people talk about it. You know, everybody jumps up in this day and age and they all run to the UK and they talk about how wonderful life is and how goods are so cheap. And I'm like, yeah, but you can't compare that situation to what we have um, in the Cayman Islands. So, yes, I mean, you live in big cities. Um, the cost of living might be a little bit different. But when you also compare that to salaries that you make and if you are not on government assistance. And like I said, it's a widely known fact that a lot of Caymanians are moving to the UK and they're taking advantage of government assistance. That's a thing. And you all have no shame. 
I'm going to put you on the spot right now. You have no shame with going to the United Kingdom and signing up for it because you don't think that people back in Cayman know your business because you're in the UK. Let me be very, very honest. I've heard the stories and we know your business. Jared, are we going to speak a little bit of truth this morning? Morning, 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 Sunday. How you, you know doing? They've been living off the UK government. Talking about, ooh, I'm getting a flat in London. You know needs. Yes, honey child. And you're also in government support. That is nothing to be proud of. The fact that you have to leave the Cayman Islands, your own country, go to somebody else's country. Yes, we're in overseas territory, but you're still living on government assistance over there. And you got bragging mm -hmm. rights about how cheap living in the UK is. Of course, it's cheap for you. It goes without saying, you know, don't throw stones at a glass house because <laughs> when it throw back at your house, it might just shatter. I, 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 I get what um, it, it's it's a. It's a sensitive situation. Nobody wants to be in the situation where they're they're just not in that advantage. It's it's just understanding how the process works and what are the solutions. Because I don't know if anyone picked up what Mr. Clifford said. If Cubans stay outside of Cuba for two years, they lose residency. Mm -hmm. And, Not and residency. The, he said they lose the their citizenship. Yeah. So then, which I've never even heard of such a thing before. So, I didn't so, know. And then, and then, he he said that Cuba has the ref, the right to refuse anybody yeah. that they say, well, this this is your person. So the the problem is not really about the Cubans coming here. It's really finding a system that matriculates them either into our system because. The fact of the matter is, we we, we are a little pretty much held at gunpoint to really find the solution here, mm. and it's it's understanding that the process we have, whether we think it works efficiently or not, it begs the question on how effective it is, mm -hmm. because I would take the two issues on why is it taking so long to process the applicant? He, he mentioned that judicial review and the, them having the ability to appeal but they're still not being matriculated into the system and that that is that is the problem because if we're not being allowed to send them back we can't that that that, that will just be an inevitable taxpayer cost that we have to pay so either either <laughs> the government comes up with a thing to say okay well you know sir if you stay here we let you stay here but this is what you got to do Mm -hmm. Right. Because I know I live in Canada. I got to mm -hmm. play by the rules up here. Yeah. But, you know, what I'm saying is that having a inept processing system doesn't help the Cubans and it doesn't help Caymanians. And what we're looking for is what what are we going to do to help them into our system? Because Caymanians have a culture, right? Mm -hmm. We have to say, OK, this is what we're about. So if what I'm saying is that the issue still remains. The processing mm -hmm. system is still slow, and the ju judicial review. I don't know what's going on, but what's the what's the solution? And this is this is you, when you think the elected officials that you elect to problem solve would actually use those good big old degrees that they have to solve the problem. But the process again, it's not simple to put in a legislation to put in an act take support mm -hmm. it takes you know certain things so 
Well, Marshall says Cuba is a big country. Not sure if the government can control the amount of people leaving. Uh, he also says that the voodoo doesn't appear to be helping the, the Haitians. Um, didn't a boatload capsize and most of them drowned a few months ago. Yes. I mean, listen, folks, uh, this is a very dangerous voyage, whether you're leaving from Cuba or from Haiti, um, going anywhere, because a lot of these vessels are um, not really considered seaworthy. And so they are taking a substantial chance with their lives. And I think that that alone uh, speaks to the level of, um, of desperation. And so make no, no bones about it. Um, they are desperate to leave and they're desperate to go absolutely anywhere. And, and what CBC failed to mention is that the Turks and Caicos mm. Islands are having a hard time mm -hmm. with people. He, I'm not, it's not CBC's responsibility to say what happened in Turks and Caicos, but I know what happened in Turks and Caicos. Mm -hmm. It is not easy. It is not easy. So make no bones about it. If you don't run the thing right, it could be a looming problem. And as he mm -hmm. alluded to, where he is trying to abate that because yes. 1100 in 1994 might, might have, it was a big deal, yeah, but with, with all the resources that we have and things that are being distributed and we're going into hurricane season, mm -hmm. it, is, it, is, it is not an easy thing. All so right. it's, it's so, what is, what's the solution at the yeah. end of the day? So 19 hours ago, Cuban migrants swarmed to safety after a boat overturns near the Golden Beach shoreline. And these are just some of the headlines that are, um, again, trending this morning. So six migrants from Cuba uh, went ashore. And this is Golden Beach. Um, I believe that's somewhere uh, in Florida and Broward County. So there's that. And, you know, I'm going to show you guys, those of you who are watching the live stream, so you can get an appreciation of what these individuals are traversing on. Um, have a look at, at this vessel. Look at that. Six people on that boat. Mount Sinai has Let's see if we can. Orthopedics program in South Florida. We'll listen to this after this commercial. But yeah, I mean, this is just, just absolutely crazy. Uh, that boat looks like it can barely hold two people on a good day. And certainly not for that type of a journey. Wow. You, you've got to, folks, be pretty desperate, um, again, to, uh, to want to, to get in that boat and to travel any distance at all. So, Denny, good morning. Good morning to James, who's joining us from Canada. He's listening in. Denny says, living off the UK government is nothing to be proud of. Uh, no, but I must tell you, Denny, that it is, um, <laughs> you know, it is a situation that's occurring more and more. And Caymanians who are going to uh, the UK have realized that there is this ability to live, I guess, some sort of a lifestyle off of the UK government. And they're doing so. They're packing up a whole boatload of kids sometimes and taking them um, into the UK and, uh, yeah, living off the government. Mm-mm. Uh, Damon says at least they can get hired and paid a salary worth their experience and education here. It's called NAU. <laughs> uh, um, so Michael says, I don't think Jared is right about Cubans losing citizenship as under international law. It's illegal to make someone stateless. Well, um, I, I, I Michael, didn't he didn't say it. Um, the the director. Um, director of uh, CBC, Border Control, Mr. Charles Clifford, 
um, was it him or Joey that said it? Yeah, I, think I, it was, I think it was Mr. Clifford that said that essentially after two years being outside of the country, a Cuban uh, loses their actual um, citizenship. Citizenship. Yeah. So that's that's Cuban law. <laughs> so we might not like it, um, but it is what it is. And and again, this this is where I say that the Cuban government is clearly. Uh, part of the problem, right? Because, you know, they, they don't care and they have policies in place that demonstrate um, that they do not care about their own people. And what, what are we gonna do? Who's gonna force Cuba's hand to care about their own people? They, they've been under an embargo for so long that, uh-huh. uh, you know, they, they just are unbothered completely. So the Cuban people themselves at some point need to make that decision. Uh, not that, not that you know, they get to really vote for people per se, but um, I think at some point the um, the Cuban people need to stand up for themselves and and realize that the solution isn't a mass exodus from Cuba. It's probably trying to fix things at home, which may mean a change of government. Another yeah. group of eleven arrived um, in April, Cuban migrants, on a wooden fishing boat. Um, off of uh, Smathers Key, um, Smathers Beach in Key West, Florida. So they were taken into custody and were medically screened. So again, folks, uh, this is an ongoing situation that's happening not just to us here in the Cayman Islands, but around the world. Some um, 77,000 Cubans just this year alone have, have already arrived on U.S. shores. So, yeah. What a mess. Um, so you can imagine that you leave Cuba for two years and they strip you of your of your citizenship. It's just crazy. Wow. Just un- unbelievable. So they certainly are not making it any easier on their people. So this is another video that we're playing here in the background. So um, Bonnie says a lot of Caymanians are there uh, living off of the government. Thank God a lot of families there rent their own apartments, work two jobs, and same time doing courses online also offer their time to help others. These are people moving to the UK. Dean Chalette says, why isn't the, the international treaty with regard to the Cubans foot fund some of the bill to allocate a budget to take care of the migrants? Who were you expecting to foot the bill? I'm not really sure, Dean, who's going to foot the bill. But uh, so Marshall agrees that it's a long journey and people are just desperate to leave Cuba in that little boat. Without, without a doubt. Um, Denny says that people who've moved to the UK should stay here and fix the local issues to improve life for everyone. Listen, one, one has to make a choice, um, you know, on what you do with your life. And sometimes the choice, it's a tough choice, but sometimes the choice is you do migrate elsewhere. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. Right. I left as a child necessarily. It wasn't my choice per se, but I think the choice was being uh, made for me. Because again, it was just opportunities that were available somewhere else that were not available at that time in the Cayman Islands. 
It's a, it's a extremely um, sad situation. I think the fact that we have, um, we have no appreciation of it certainly speaks to the fact that we are in a most fortunate situation. So again, Cubans continue to cross the southern border in record numbers, uh, numbers that they've not seen in the U.S. since the 1980s. So if that puts anything in context and gives you an idea of how desperate the situation is uh, in Cuba. Um, you know, it's really something. Mm. So, Jared, um, most unfortunate. Yeah, yes, it is. I, my opinion is that I don't think the, the embargo that the U.S. placed in Cuba has helped the situation, which is... Well, I mean, the, the Trump administration obviously made some changes that made it worse, but um, yeah. it, it's just a tough situation. But again, you, everyone gets blamed for the situation, uh, but, um, takes responsibility but, but Cuba, you know. Um, so Mr. Romilia is joining us on the line. Good morning, Colin. Welcome to the program. Good morning, honey. Ciao. How are you this morning? I'm good, honey. Ciao. How are you? I am blessed and highly favored beyond measures. That's beautiful. I put my phone on silent because CC's calling now. <laughs> no more time right now. <laughs> uh -huh. Sandy, my question is, I didn't catch all of it because I just had to do an errand and come back. But uh -huh. I want to know why um, are we not allowed to turn these Cubans back? Number one, we're spending so much money well, I think you need um, to go back and listen to the show because Mr. Clifford did go into great uh, detail and explain how it works and, and what the law requires of us. So, um, you know, we can't we can't turn them back. That's not how the process works. OK, what that's why well, I'll do that. Mm -hmm. Why is it that they are allowed to roam in our communities? Mm -hmm. He also addressed um, that. I've seen some. He addressed that as <laughs> <Yes>. well. <laughs> I would just go so back. Go back. And yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. But basically, the yes. short answer to it is they're not prisoners, um, and so they have challenged even us putting monitors on them. And you know, human rights. Uh, we can't uh, put them in prison if they've not committed a crime or they've not done anything wrong. So there are certain international <laughs> obligations that we have to follow when I, we're dealing with migrants. But I have a question. I know it is illegal to to come to Cayman without properly being landed so it, it's very interesting that they can call human rights when it's a certain level of convenience because we know if any other nationality besides a cuban came into cayman it would be illegal and wouldn't that be no they, they've not landed legally but that doesn't mean because they've not landed legally that you can throw them in jail and do whatever you want with them you still have to adhere to international standards and how to deal with and how to handle migrants um just like uh, you will you will know this for a fact. Um, the first person to have successfully challenged our immigration laws on this whole right to family life thing in a landmark case was actually a Jamaican national. So it's not correct to say any other nationality would not be treated the same way. He was convicted, um, his soul rest in peace because he's now deceased, mm -hmm. but he was convicted of being involved in a robbery here in the Cayman Islands. And um, after that, he wanted to remain. The Cayman Islands immigration took his, his um, RERC and he sued the Cayman Islands government. Again, this is a Jamaican national. And they said, 
oh, right. The court said he has a right to family life. Okay, so uh, that me, Bill of Rights. And so, if, so it's uh, not correct that, that Cubans necessarily get one set of laws and anybody mm -hmm. else gets a different no, set of laws in this country. What I'm saying is that, and I don't want to choose any nationality, let's say Jared from the Caribbean take a boat to Cayman mm -hmm. and I landed illegally. What would happen? Would I be put through that same process? Yeah, it should be the exact same process. I think, I think the only think difference is um, we don't really have other people. And like I said, knock on wood, we don't have any other migrants coming here in that way. But it's the same thing. When, when migrants come, say, for example, from Jamaica on the drug boats, um, they might go to jail because there are other offenses that they've committed. But then after that, they face deportation. So they're sent back home. Yeah, but, but the, treated... the, the difference is Jamaica won't refuse them. That's 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 what I'm trying. Well, that's what I'm pointing out is that Jamaica will accept, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, well, as as Mr. Um, I mean, as the caller said, there is that issue of um, of Cuba taking them back if they've been out of the country for two years, right? So, good morning, caller, and welcome to the program. Hi, caller. Hi, good morning. Good morning. You're, you're live yeah. on the cold hard truth. Okay. Is it cold in the cold hard truth? Yes. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> yes, I, guess, I think it is. Um, you know, the um, migration uh, problem now is global. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm reading from uh, uh, in, in, on some forums that I partake uh -huh. uh, that in the Eastern Europe, whole towns are empty. Mm. Um, recently, there was a, a reduction of restrictions on uh, one of the countries, I can't remember if it's Moldova or Macedonia, or Macedonia, one of them. Mm -hmm. And they're expecting 20% of their population to, to migrate abroad. Mm. Some, um, many for economic opportunity, and some for uh, just plain uh, trying to, you know, similar to what you were talking about earlier, when people leave here to go and live on the doll in the UK, you know, and, and of course, if, if you are a citizen or a resident of one of those countries that is better off, mm -hmm. uh, or not necessarily better off in totality, but in, in some aspects, then uh, there is resentment for all the uh, people that come in from the outside trying to benefit from a system that citizens of that country have created for themselves. Mm. And, and to some extent, we see that here. And, and like, you, like you said earlier, there were times when uh, people from Cayman had to go elsewhere for just about anything. Mm -hmm. You know, because uh, we have uh, severe limitations in terms of natural resources here, uh, as, as, at least those that will help you uh, to feed yourself and uh, so forth. Now we're economically in a better position. However, if predictions for the future hold hold true, the, the tide may well change again. Mm -hmm. For us, and and not you know not in the unforeseeable future. But in the foreseeable future, now I'm I'm in my mid seventies, so I you know um, things may not change a whole hell of a lot for for me except if uh, inflation eats up what I'm living from, which is my savings. 
but for for many other people that uh, young people that have their life in front of them you know they will they will have to consider what kind of options they have mm-hmm. and and the the purpose of my call is this what i would recommend to any Caymanian, Caymanian resident, if, if, if so, if so be it, or uh, a recent immigrant, uh, the, the type we're speaking about, uh, uh, Cubans in mm-hmm. this case, sorry to men- mention the nationality, but th- is to upskill themselves. Right. Do what they possibly can and kick themselves in the butt and say, I got to get down and do this for my survival. Uh-huh. I need to be able to position myself in a place to where I can get work in another place when the need arises. That that is the best remedy. That even even in our domestic situation, when we're talking about many Caymanians being unable to find jobs, uh-huh. you know there is a, there are a lot of young people that just lack directions when they come out of school. And they, which is not that unusual, you know. I, I, I think many people when they uh, with eighteen or so come out of school mm-hmm. and they've been absorbed by exams and doing all that part that is important in that section of your life, they haven't really sat down and said, "What is it I really want to do? Mm. What is it I really want to have as my living, earning um, occupation?" Mm-hmm. So it's not that unusual, but don't let it go on for five, six years. Right. You know, if you there's often been said about the gap year, people take a, a year off to maybe broaden their horizons and and travel if if they are able to, and try and look at the world and try and look at themselves using the world for a mirror, and say, well, what is it I really want to do? But you have got to get yourself something that you are good at and gives you marketable skills. And like I said, the tide may well change again in in the fortunes of life. Mm -hmm. That's all I have to say this morning. Thank you so much. Appreciate those comments. Yeah, my dear, you never know. And in fact, there is a report, if you guys are interested in really um, expanding your horizons, it's called the World Migration Report. The 2022 um, edition is out. I'll supply the link here. You can read the full report, which looks at migration around the world and some very, very um, interesting facts here. Jared, I know you'll find this interesting as well as some of our other listeners. And it says that the vast majority of people continue to live in the countries in which they were born. Only one in 30 are migrants. Um, but you know, it's, it's a trend that might be, um, uh, definitely increasing as the last caller suggested. Good morning, caller. And welcome to the cohort truth. Yeah. Morning, Sandra. How you doing? Yeah. Good. good. Listen, getting on this, uh, this Cuban discussion, you got this morning, this uh-huh. Cuban crisis. Uh-huh. How much, uh, Cubans did he say was, was Mr. Clifford said was currently on the island, 150, right? I there's something something one, within that I think maybe. Yeah. I thought it was a little bit more than that, but it's well you something. You multiply now a hundred and fifty dollars by a hundred and fifth by a hundred people just to say that's a hundred a hundred and was 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 uh, my calculation. I know did the calculation, but I'm sure I'm sure it's adding up it's adding up in the tens of tens of thousands of dollars a month. Mm-hmm. That's just on um 
That's just on food vouchers. Uh-huh. Okay. That's the God of housing, right? Uh-huh. So my my thing is that they're saying that they're foreign. Came on, came on, yeah, okay, that's what that is a week. Because they give them food vouchers a week, right? Um, $150 a week. I, it couldn't be a month. It couldn't be a month. Okay, yeah. that, that's yet to be, uh, to be um, determined if it's week yeah, or we'll, we'll two weeks or what. We'll confirm, yeah. But what I'm saying, the Cayman Islands are following international laws. They say that uh, that that prohibits them from 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 sending these Cubans back, right? Uh-huh. So what? Which which countries make up these international laws? Is what I'm saying. The country that making up these international laws, they gonna have a treaty. So with the, the that treaty that is going on regarding the Cubans, they should front a bill. They should also say, well, okay, we allocate this amount of money for you to to take care of these uh refugees that come in. It should be it should be all the countries put together. To allocate a bill for, for a budget, a budget for these Cubans, rather than bearing just on one country like the Cayman Islands, we're not big as United States. We not got a budget as big as United States. Even if it's the UK, got, even if the UK is part of this discussion because they're in they're, they're in charge of border control, they should be the ones to go and say, "Well, listen, we gotta we gotta allocate a budget." For the for the Cayman Islands for this Cub, for this Cuban Cuban uh, crisis, mm-hmm. they can't just depend on the Cayman Islands just to front the bill by itself. And if we are doing and we are doing that, so our lawmakers got to get in, our politicians got to get in and say, listen, we can't we can't we can't sustain this much longer because mm-hmm. no one knows when they can finish. This might go on forever. Suppose mm-hmm. this go on forever, he mm-hmm. said he, he Mr. Clifford, he don't he don't. You don't know. Uh-uh. There's still no Hello? Yes, there yeah, you go. Yeah, we can hear you. We can hear you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure when I went off, but what I'm saying is our politicians gotta gotta get 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 on to it and say, listen, we can't we can't front this bill forever mm-hmm. or front this bill indefinite. You know, we, we have to be we, we have to be allocated some kind of budget by some figureheads that are that are a part of this international agreements. Look at look at what NATO doing to the Ukrainian people. Okay, the refugees are running. Okay, out of their country in in plight of war. Right, mm-hmm. this is a little bit different with Cuba. They're not running because of war. Right, but what I'm saying, NATO has has allocated millions and billions of dollars to these other countries that these refugees are running to. Mm-hmm. These mm-hmm. Those, those countries, Turkey, Tur- uh, Poland, and those other neighboring countries, they're not fronting the bill by themselves. You know, mm-hmm. NATO is giving them money to house these refugees, so it should be the same kind of thing that mm-hmm. is happening with this, with this, with this Cuban situation. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all. That's, that's all. I'm, all, all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You know, the, in the same people that are speaking on these international international agreements, they got to say, well, listen, a budget, a budget got to be allocated for us because. If you if you if you add up the figure what uh, what we're being spent on Cubans, mm-hmm. that, that alone could front could could fund NAU NAU for 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 a year easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and and with the thing I mean, the wet foot, dry foot law, 
Obama, Obama ended ended that back in the um, back when he was in the administration, and that was and that was added to this. You know, you mm -hmm. see, when, when President Trump was there, it wasn't much, it wasn't much Cubans going in there, you know. But now they know that the Democrats are in again, so it's rising up again. The border was under control. Mm -hmm. when, 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 when Trump was there, I mean, you could say what we want to say about Trump. I'm not a fan of Trump either, you know? But mm -hmm. still, I'm just saying there's a difference in policies that when these countries get in, they're the way to go, you know? Is yeah, well, they, I they think to, but, 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 to be fair, caller, I think that, that the economics of what has happened the last couple of years because of COVID and the tourism, for example, industry being completely shut down in Cuba has been more of a driving factor than um, what President Trump had in place. Um, and we can go back and look at numbers, but I think we have to look at what's actually driving it. I don't think it's the it's the Democrat uh, Democrats and their policy per se. It's more of the actual, you know, the real factor, which is the economy in Cuba. And around the world, really. But you know one question, mm -hmm. though, Sandy. Mm -hmm. Why doesn't the UK take take Cubans? If that, that's a that's a that's a possibility. Why doesn't the UK take the Cubans? If what the caller is saying, mm -hmm. we have to put the bill because we we are being put in an uncomfortable position in a situation we didn't ask for. We're making do with what we can. We're following the laws, and it just doesn't seem to work out in our benefit. That's what the mm -hmm. caller is saying. And the politicians don't seem to fight for the Caymanian when they're supposed to be saying, look at my Caymanian on the street. Look at them mm -hmm. struggling. How, how, how is it that I'm prioritizing somebody who's not even from here? And that, that is the primary frustration that Caymanians have. Why does it seem like the Caymanian politician does not fight for me when I need help? That is that is that is that is because the let, 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 let's look at um to, to the caller's point right let's examine this concept that Trump's policies actually helped uh, curve Cuban migration so um they had uh, previous to Trump taking office they used to have bilateral talks at least twice a year uh, Trump did away with that so he was not engaging in speaking with um you know the Cuban government at all. Um, in addition to that, he reversed Barack Obama's opening to Cuba policy, which led to restoration of diplomatic relations in 2005. Mm -hmm. So President Biden now is trying to reverse Trump's bans and remittances to the island, travel and diplomatic contacts. How does banning remittances to the island, travel and diplomatic contract contact, sorry, actually assist the Cuban people and make them want to stay. They can't even get money to be able to stay in Cuba. So he curtailed the ability of Cubans, you know, elsewhere in the world to be able to send funds back home. That's not uh, the type of policy that actually helps keep them off your shores. And in fact, that arguably does the opposite. That's true. But equally, I, I don't know if you recall, you might have reported on this, where some government officials, some diplomatic missions in Cuba, experience what they call migraines. You, I think you mentioned it quite recently, mm -hmm. or fairly, where diplomats experience migraines and they didn't know what the cause of it was. And some diplomatic missions had to step out, which more than less contributed to what we're seeing now. And well, I mean, that, that's not connected to the Cuban migration. So two, two primary things, the economic situation in Cuba, which is, mm -hmm. you know, the economic situation around the world, largely due to COVID. Mm -hmm. And then we also have as another situation is the um, Nicaragua's president, uh, Daniel Ortega, allowing Cuba, who he sees as an ally, um, to have mm -hmm. absolutely no visa requirements whatsoever. 
So since November, they've had some 65,000 plus, it's actually over 70,000, uh, you know, Cuban migrants that have reached the U.S. Uh, border. And so those are the two primary factors as to why it's increasing and why it's happening. Well, you know, so... Um, yeah. There don't seem to be an end in sight. Danny makes the point that the Cuban government needs to needs to fix their own their own issues. Yeah, but the, the, the Cubans don't operate on a democratic process as how we will talk things out. And this, well, is, this is the conflict in reality. Yes. We will talk things out. The, the, the Cubans ain't obligated to do that. And that's the thing. And this is where, as much as you have human rights and agreements and stuff, it is that, to a degree, our own expense and detriment because we are footing the bill. It's when you engage in a relationship with someone who does mm -hmm. not see your side they will never see your side and the question is okay if you don't see my side <laughs> i still have to accept that issue which is what cayman is being placed in and well i don't know if it's about seeing of sides let's go ahead and take a quick commercial break folks we'll be right back after these messages at the hsa we know that your time is a precious resource and want to help you spend it wisely avoid the wait and request your prescription refills through our website, WhatsApp, or by calling the pharmacy. Use our delivery service if you are vulnerable, elderly, or a civil servant, or pick them up the next day. Your secure health records are at your fingertips with our My HSA Patient Portal and Healthy Life app. Our nine locations throughout all three islands make receiving quality care simple and convenient because your time matters to us. Recover personal injury attorneys. Helping injured people get what they deserve. Did you know that insurance companies have lawyers that represent their interests? Before signing and accepting any settlement, know your rights. Call us today for a free consultation at 924-9999. That's 924-9999. Recover. Your personal injury attorneys are on standby to assist. Hey, look here. You looking for something? Do I want? Are you looking something to do with friends and family? How about a private boat trip? Enjoy popular locations like Stingray City, Starfish Point, Rum Point, or Kaibo on a trip with WG Charters. Private boating is only $400 CI or $500 US. Take him or her out on an evening date and cruise around the North Sound for that beautiful sunset or romantic night cruise for only $300. Visit WGCharters.com or look for WG Charters on Facebook, Instagram, or WhatsApp, 345-923-1741. WG Charters, my choice. At Innovative Building Products, we provide professional builders and homeowners with the highest quality materials from top brands worldwide. Tiling tools, waterproofing systems, fin sets, self-levelers, grout, along with porcelain floor and wall tiles. Our products are 100% guaranteed, promise 100% satisfaction, and beat competitor pricing. Pallets of materials are ready to go. Quick and easy convenience to get you in and out within five minutes. All right, folks, welcome back to the program. Let's read a few more comments. Now, one um, interesting observation here is someone has actually made the comment that even when they're on work permits, speaking about Cubans, uh, they have to return within two years to renew 
their their visa. So even when oh. they have left um, on a work permit situation, so they've left uh, legally, um, they have to um, still go through this process with the Cuban government. So that's incredibly mm -hmm. interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, yes, very interesting. Uh, so good morning. We have um, uh, Vernita says thank you to the caller. Aliano says the topic about Caymanians that leave Cayman and move to England to live off of a handout system is besides the point. Okay, the point is if I can find life easier in England uh, when they stay in my country as a Caymanian and suffer as I don't think England would allow one to abuse the use. Uh, I don't know, Aliano. I mean, all countries are open to abuse potentially of, you know, whatever their NAU equivalent is. And that certainly uh, includes the UK. And to be fair, I don't know if most people know this, UK has been deporting Caribbean nationals quite a bit as well. Uh, I, I just made that point to say other countries are handling their own immigration. Um, issues. Yeah, th those are oftentimes um, Jamaican nationals who have um, committed crimes or who've just been there, I suppose, illegally and eventually got caught mm -hmm. and they're subject to deportation. And orders. I wonder the human rights that were really put in place for that. But I will just say, I won't throw stones at any glass houses. So I will just keep it at that. So Damien says, look at the end game. It's not about human rights, it's about power and money. Mm. Loved Lopez, good morning, and says, yes, and our Caymanians are struggling, uh, living hand to mouth, underpaid, uh, so sad, and not every Caymanian that migration to the UK live off the government, you have some work, uh, two jobs to feed their family. Yeah, for sure. We're not saying everyone does it, but we're saying that there's still a growing number of people who are seeing this journey to the UK as um, such a positive thing. And I think someone also mentioned that a lot are coming back as well. They leave and they come back and they travel back and forth. And, uh, you know, they don't have any jobs there. So that's not the holy grail that people are trying to make it out to be. So Carol says the UK has enough boats going there with refugees from all over Europe and the Middle East. Um, John says you can't even find milk in Cuba right now. Um, economics of the world. Yeah, very, very unfortunate. Of course, we know, um, I don't know if this is regular milk, but we know there's been a formula shortage and it tends to hit poorer countries and, and poorer individuals so much harder. Good morning to Ms. Carroll. Ms. Carroll says the policy of the Biden administration is open borders that has resulted in over 2 million illegals pouring into the U.S. in just um, over a year. Is that not because of bad policy? Mm. He's just now changing the policy, though. <laughs> so I'm not really sure that you can blame that. Like, literally, they just had talks in uh I think it was around the 23rd of last month. And I only remember this because I was in Miami at the time. And it was big news. They were just having talks then. And so the policy changes are, uh, it happened around April the 21st that they actually had these bilateral meetings first time in four years. So what has been happening isn't it isn't a result of his policy changes because the policy changes have not yet come down the pipeline. They're going to start but um, yeah, hasn't started yet. So, I mean, I would think that the ability to get more money into the country would actually be a way to alleviate the need for people to leave. 
This is a very complex issue. And actually, I'm going to try to see if I can find, um, uh, let me just try and see if I can find the interview from last month when they were actually looking at uh, having these bilateral talks because it's a very, very interesting conversation. Um, it could be this one, one second. <clears throat> mm -hmm. All right, let's, let's have a listen to, to this um, note. This might not be the one that I'm thinking about, but this will give us a little bit more insight. Just have a listen to this. Is it clean? Migration talks used to occur between the U.S. and Cuba twice a year. President Trump ended that in 2018 and increased economic sanctions against the Caribbean island. Speaking at a migration conference in Panama today, U.S. Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas says the U.S. is open to resuming those meetings. And that is a reflection of our commitment to legal, orderly, and humane pathways so individuals, including Cubans, do not take, for example, to the seas, which is an extraordinarily perilous uh, journey. U.S. officials say they picked up more than 1,200 Cubans trying to come by boat since last October and 80,000 trying to cross by land. That's more than double the number of Cubans U.S. officials encountered at the Mexico border in all of the previous fiscal year. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, who led the delegation to Panama, says countries must work together to tackle the record levels of people on the move in the hemisphere. They say more money must be invested back in migrants' homes so they don't have to leave in the first place. Cuba's Deputy Foreign Minister, Josefina Vidal, told CNN in Havana yesterday that the U.S. may have that policy of investment and engagement with other countries, but not with Cuba, U.S. policies are making the situation worse, she says. Because in the case of Cuba, it's not, it's not just the consequence of the pandemic, it's, it's the consequences of the reinforcement of the policy of maximum pressure, economic pressure of the U.S. Yeah. towards Cuba. President Biden has stuck with Trump's economic sanctions. Mm -hmm. Human rights activists say a recent crackdown by Cuban authorities on free speech is also contributing to the exodus. Kerry Khan, NPR News, Mexico City. Okay. And now more from so, NPR. Um, it's the is the yeah it's the, so it's, news on We we hear some of the real reasons. So, so I know I know all of us um, wish to think that we're we're experts here on mm -hmm. international relations and everything else. But the people who actually study this stuff for a living, they've given you some real reasons there. And like I said, the Trump policy still remains in place because Biden has maintained it up until. Um, just a couple of days ago when he said he will be making some changes. So you cannot say, you can say it's been driven by bad U.S. policy, but you can't say that that's Biden's policy because actually, in fact, Ms. Carroll is still Trump's policy. Just clarifying, just the facts. Um, Damien says exactly that's not human rights, but them Cuban-Americans are very wealthy and still um, sour and want Cuba back. They don't care about their own people as they look at them as a different 
color. I'm not really sure what that's all about. Um, and again, I am no expert on the dynamics of Cuba, but like, like everywhere else in the world, you've got the rich, the poor, and I don't know if Cuba has much of a middle class, but I suppose, you know, the middle class um, exists in Cuba and it would be very, very interesting to see what Cubans themselves have to say on, on this topic. Denny joining the program by call. Good morning, Denny, and welcome to the program. Howdy. How are you? Not bad. Good. Um, actually, it's not Trump's policy either. This this comes begins way back with when Castro decided to take over the country by force. And and communism is the root cause of the problem, because the idea of nationalizing things is what brought about the embargo in the first place. It has nothing to do with the current leaders. Uh, and and so what happened is that when they nationalized U.S.-owned property, corporations went to Congress and said, hey, the amount of money that they have seized from us is this, and we want it back. So until they give it back to us, we want an embargo. And that's how we're where we are. And mm-hmm. if you think it's just going to go away, you're sadly mistaken. Right? So it, it's not about Trump. It's not about Biden. That has nothing to do with it. And all, all that is happening is Biden saying he's going to remove the embargo. Because if he isn't, he's not saying anything different from Trump at all. He might be voicing it differently, but it's essentially the same policy, an embargo. Well, I think, you can I think it's up a little bit here and you can yes. ease. You can ease up a little bit here or a little bit there, but at the end of the day, you're not going to return to normal relations uh, that simply. Mm-hmm. Because what's driving this is the billions of dollars in property that was seized from American companies. Mm-hmm. So, so you think that those the... Um... The, the talks that ceased in 2018 and the increased economic sanctions against Cuba that Trump implemented has had no impact at all. Of course it had an impact. Mm-hmm. But what, what I'm saying is that's not the cause of why we're where we are. We, right. We're here because, because they decided to take over the country and implement. Well, the, the irony of this is, is that from what I can understand, Castro didn't really intend to go the direction that he went in. He actually wanted a relationship with the U.S., mm-hmm. but Nixon said no. And so he had to turn somewhere, and I think he turned to Russia, and, well, you know, <laughs> they're not exactly a democratic country. Mm-hmm. And so he was kind of, they were, their hands were kind of forced down a certain road, and we are where we are. But it's not just now that you have people socialized to think in such a way after 60 years, it's not just going to change tomorrow. So when they show up here and they expect that the government is going to do this and the government's going to do that, it's because to them that's, well, that's what governments do. Mm-hmm. Think about it. If, if you had a revolution 60 years ago, what percentage of your population understand what it was like pre-communism mm-hmm. you understand the problem mm-hmm. okay and that this is this is why this is extremely difficult to solve because 
which politician in the U.S. is going to go up against the powerful corporations that has said, no, no, you're not going to take billions of dollars from me because I'll put up someone to run against you and I'll finance them. I won't finance you. So you lose your seat in Congress. Mm -hmm. It's not a simple equation. Hmm. But the, but the, pro, the consequences for us Way things work in Cuba, mm -hmm. they run and burden other countries. I'm, I'm not saying that um, there is, isn't some uh, legitimate cases in which people might be politically persecuted or whatever, but but just to pick up and run because of economics, I think you should stay at home and fix your country, because if if everyone took that approach, okay then every, every country would fall apart. Mm -hmm. The world would go into chaos. Mm. So I, I, I'm not sympathetic to the idea that, that, that people should just pick up and run, which is one of the reasons why I think um, civics, administrative law, should be taught, the basics at least, in our high school. Mm-hmm. Because people need to understand the importance of being involved in the political system. It's not, it's not just there for politicians. It's about you understanding how you should interact with government and knowing what your rights are. I mean, if, look at you. You have a law degree. When you walk into an office and someone says to you, well, the process is like this, you can reason in your mind and say, well, that violates this principle, so that can't be right. And then you can question further instead of wasting two months of your time going down a rabbit hole that you should not have gone. Mm -hmm. So when we make decisions about what, what we'll do in our country, they have real consequences. Mm -hmm. And these economic consequences, unfortunately, comes from the fact that, you know, people... Um, they chose to go down a certain path that path that didn't work out quite the way they hoped that it would, but it just means they have to make another choice again. And they're going to have to fix the government because what, what is currently there is unsustainable. It, what is, what it's saying is that people don't want to live under those circumstances. Mm -hmm. Well, I think what's really holding up the change in the U in, in Cuba is the elder population that have retired on the basis of the, of the then promises. Because it's hard for them now to change and to, and to move forward on a different basis. But if you have someone who is 18 years old, they can work and they can save and they can live, they can, they can move forward on a different basis that more in line with freedom. But the older population is stopped. And so there's this divide between the groups. Mm. And that's what's driving what you see today. So and, um, and, human and look rights, at how it is affecting us. Human rights makes the comments, uh, comment that the embargo was due to all the properties that Fidel Castro ex, uh, appropriated from their owners and the embargo will be lifted if two simple things are fulfilled. Number one, compensation to the owners for the property stolen yes. by Castro. And second, that free elections be held in Cuba. Well, 
the um, I could be wrong about this number, but for some reason, a number that comes to my mind is eleven billion. It's been a long time that I thought about these details, but I think that's the number that was being asked for. Eleven billion to people who own land in Cuba. Yeah, yeah. And Cuba's going to get eleven yeah. billion dollars from. That's not the point. You should you should think about what you're doing because your actions will have consequences. And what? when somebody when the rich corporations in the US go to their representatives and say, he stole this from me and mm -hmm. I want to become compensated, that is going to be a headache. And that's but, what we're witnessing. But Danny, if you look at Hades demise. Much of that had to be done with U.S. involvement. When you look at Grenada's situation with U.S. intercepting and what I would call poking countries, was it wrong for Cuba to say, no, you're not going to do that here? Because that would have happened in Cuba. The U.S. would have done everything to control politicians in Cuba to some way, the same way you said, when representatives in the US, if they go up against these big corporations, they're gonna lose their seat. So Cuba yeah. did a very hard approach in controlling its sovereignty, but the US has never recognized Cuba's sovereignty and the way that they've done it. That's that's the bottom line problem. And they've used the embargo to economically um, cause a destructive what, path for Cuba. What the US, what the US, objects to in cuba is communism yeah but that's not and, the u.s and, and, wait wait wait, wait no wait 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 a second confiscating people's private property and nationalizing mm -hmm. them is not in line with freedom okay i, so I get that that's the objection okay so when the u.s i'm was, not suggesting to you that that the u.s agenda towards cuba was pure mm -hmm. it wasn't pure towards um, um, uh, Haiti, but the, the point I'm making is that is that you can't on one hand say, I just want to take property from people okay. just because I want it and think that nothing is going to happen. Yeah, okay. I get that. It's just unrealistic. But when the US was and very upset with Venezuela about the oil and they've had to come back around and say, Hey, Venezuela, help us. What I'm saying is that the U.S. needs to learn for, for certain reasons. To the U.S. doesn't have to say that. The U.S. have oil that they could pump for another 100 years. But they were asking the Venezuela for oil. The, 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 yes, because Why? the U.S. Why? has chosen. I, I have an answer. Sit back and listen. The U.S. has decided that they're going to go down the road of um, of dealing with what they call climate change and they want it now okay that's fine you could just think about the economics of this for a second you go to the oil executives and you say you know what i want to end your business how does that how does the executive of the oil corporation go to their shareholders and say in order for us to drill oil we need to invest X billion of dollars, billion dollars. But the but the president of the United States says he wants our business to fail. Okay, so I'm not sure if you're going to get a return on your investment 
but that's where we're at. And then how do you expect to get cheap prices if you're doing that? What you have to realize is that drilling oil isn't something you do today and you have gasoline tomorrow. Mm-hmm. There is a serious lag time. Mm-hmm. That's unrealistic, economically unviable. Would you put Caymanian's pension fund in an industry that the president of the United States say, I want to destroy? But then what yeah. I'm trying to say is that... Yeah, let, let's, let's circle back to the Cuban issue here, folks. Um, I'm going to go ahead and share a link from the Advocacy for Human Rights in the Americas, which has an interesting breakdown, sorry, and how we actually got here. So they start out by saying that in the 1960s, the United States has maintained a preferential relationship with Cuban citizens and facilitated a direct path to permanent residency. So the Cuban Adjustment Act, which went into effect on November the 2nd, 1966, actually allows Cuban natives or citizens who have been physically present in the U.S. for at least a year to apply to become lawful permanent residency. So this is a fast tracking process. Nobody else gets it that quickly. Um, So in addition to Cubans wanting to flee the country for political and economic reasons, uh, this has led to mass migration of Cubans to the U.S. So to Denny's point, the contributing factors for mass migration are not just created by current presidents of the United States, Biden or Trump, but goes back to the early 60s um, when, you know, the U.S. policy was put in place after the 1959 Cuban Revolution. So after the 59 Cuban Revolution, about 1.4 million people actually fled Cuba at the time to the United States, and it was the largest migrant flow in the Caribbean islands country, or history, sorry. And since then, Cuba has uh, remained one of the top populations of migrants to the U.S., and, um, you know, it's, it's happened under every single presidency that you can possibly imagine. So there was the U.S. wet foot, dry foot policy, which was uh, born out of um, a situation, I think, under President Clinton announced that Cubans uh, entered interdicted at sea, would be sent to the U.S. naval base in Guantanamo. Uh, It was then that the so-called U.S. wet foot, dry foot policy was born, and it granted Cubans who reached the U.S. by soil the right to stay and to get on a fast track to citizenship. On paper, the policy aimed to discourage people from taking the risky journey by sea. Uh, However, under a new accord signed in September of 1994, the U.S. agreed to legally admit at least 20,000 Cubans, not including immediate relatives of U.S. citizens. So they, I think, um, still get some allowances there. Um, Again, trying to prevent further illegal departures by rafters. In 2007, in order to meet immigrant visa requirements under the U.S. uh, Cuba Migration Accords, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services launched the Cuba Family Reunification Parole Program which is a CFRP, and that allow family members of Cuban citizens and permanent legal residents to travel to the U.S. without having to wait for their immigrant visas to be granted. So that's the program uh, that was in place. So uh, once in the U.S., the CFRP program beneficiaries uh, may apply for work permits while they wait to um, apply for lawful permanent residency status under the Cuban Adjustment Act. Things again changed in 2013, so lots of changes. 
So um, following the liberalization of the rules that had restricted travel out of the island, the number of Cubans trying to use the, reach the U.S. via the uh, Mexico border and relying on the wet foot, dry foot policy increased. But in the final days of his administration, President Obama abruptly put an end to the policy and put a cap uh, to this two-year effort to reestablish relationships with Cuba. Um, so at that time, a sharp increase in Cuban seeking asylum and deportation cases went from 388 cases in 2016 to 24,198 cases in 2019. So again, just a real eye-opener on how both current and past policies do impact the influx of, of Cubans seeking asylum or deciding to try to enter the country illegally. So it goes on to say that the situation took a further downturn in 2017 when under the Trump administration, the U.S. suspended visa processing at the embassy in Cuba indefinitely and halted all consular services in response to the Havana syndrome, which is what um, Jared was mentioning earlier. So this is a mysterious ailment allegedly affecting uh, embassy staff and their relatives. Um so a preliminary report uh, published by the CIA in February of 2022 found that most cases, <coughs> sorry, were likely to have been caused by, were, sorry, found that most cases were likely to have been caused by any foreign influence embassy closure continued to be a detriment to the tens of thousands of Cuban Im immigrants who continued to wait their visas to reunite with their families in the U.S. So the direct Another direct impact was under the Trump, administra Trump administration, the closure of the U.S. embassy. Hmm. And uh, towards the end of 2022, Biden reinstated the remain in Mexico policy under court orders, which promptly restarted the return of the U.S. Um, bound asylum seekers to Mexico to wait for resolution of their cases uh, in the U.S. immigration court system. So it's a very long and lengthy history. But the point now is that, um, you know, it's changing yet again. And this article, which I'll share the link for you guys to read, is really questioning how much uh, governments are paying attention to the um the, the change, not governments, the U.S. government in particular, to the change in Cuban migration. What a mess. It, it, uh, the, those are peripheral issues. The embargo is put on for a specific reason. And the point that I'm trying to make is that that hasn't changed. Unless Biden wants to say, I'm going to forget about the $11 billion that Americans say they are owed, and I'm going to um, abandon the embargo, he's maintaining the same policy. Mm -hmm. So you can call it whatever you want. And politicians are very good at dressing things up and presenting it in ways that people will swallow the hook. But make no mistake about it. You're still on the line. All right. Thank you. Take care. Human rights says Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua, dictatorial regimes and systems and the next country uh, they want to corrupt with that system is Mexico. The world must condemn communism. Um, Ms. Vernita says, right, Mr. Denny, on a stay home and fix on a country and all those we don't need that come here and we Caymanians and expats have to pull, pull together to make a decent community islands, not government. 
So here's the thing um, I always find peculiar is when people see themselves in isolation. So the Cayman Islands think that thinks a lot of people in the Cayman Islands think that we can isolate ourselves um, from the rest of the world, rest of the world, and policy decisions that we make, uh, both internally and you know sometimes it impacts um, you know our affairs abroad, has no impact on anyone else. I keep telling people, and I hope this sinks in at some point, that we are no longer the island that time forgot. As as we traverse this world and we become more and more of a, of a global citizen, um, we are impacted by so many things that happen elsewhere in the world. I mean, look at COVID. COVID alone should be a lesson that we cannot isolate ourselves. We cannot lock down and shut the Cayman Islands away in a little box and think that we're going to be safe from anything. We can't be safe from pandemics. Uh, Monkeypox is next, folks. It has now reached the shores of Miami. It's in Broward County. They have their first reported case. So, you know, already our officials issued a statement on Friday that they're aware of the concerns about monkeypox and they're asking people to be vigilant. Mm -hmm. Yes, y'all want to be isolated with certain things when it comes to immigration policy, but y'all sure don't want to be isolated when it comes to traveling to Miami for shopping. And of course, that exposes you to COVID, monkeypox, monkey pox, chicken pox, and every other pox out there. So um, I think, you know, we have to understand that we live in a global environment and we're part of the global citizenship, you know, that exists in this world. And there are a lot of things that impact us. And that B says the issue is not the migration, but it is the fact that we, the Cayman Islands, cannot sustain or encourage a mass insurgence of Cubans. Uh, is it? in CIG's best interest to expedite them quickly. Well, I think they're they're going to expedite them as quickly as they can, but the process takes time. You know something, Sandy? I, I, I'm sorry to say this. Canada would be willing to accept them. I'm telling you that the honest truth. I'm not being facetious or anything, but to, like people are saying, countries who have larger landmass, larger mm -hmm. resources to accommodate, Canada's an aging population. So they, I know they're more willing to accept the... I don't know how they're going to get by boat all the way to Canada, though. <laughs> that's, a, that's a long journey. But exactly. But it, it, it still doesn't help Cayman at the end of the day. So unless the UK is going to send them big, nice gray ships that they got for them, I, I, don't, know, I, I don't know what the answer is for Cayman. Mm -hmm. because we almost we are almost out of the budget for Cuban mass migration that that is that is a problem that we're at and so if we're not going to matriculate Cubans into the Caymanian system the question is then what are we going to do because that is where that is where the rubber meets the road and yeah we're no longer the island that times forgot because mm -hmm. we're not the island that everybody wants and we have to have an open heart and an open mind to really solving this problem because it's not going to go away. As you said, we're a global world mm -hmm. and we have global, global issues. In, in the global world. And here's another interesting article um, that says that uh, Panama tightens visa rules. So Cuba is going to be bracing for a tougher journey. So new rules requiring Cubans obtain a transit visa before entering Panama has sparked protests in Havana. So um, again, yeah. the Panamanian embassy 
in Havana, um, mm-hmm. you know, had people, this was in early April, so just last month, had people sleeping on the grass outside for nearly a week mm-hmm. um, who were protesting because they're trying to get, be in Panama, go to wherever, and basically trans, uh, these transit visas are now going to be, that entire process is actually going to be tightened. Yeah, that's, that's not good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, the journey from Las Donas took two days and cost the family about $200, which is a significant sum in Cuba when the average salary is less than $50 a month. Mm. That's U.S. dollars, by the way. Wow. So Natalia and her mother, who planned to fly in April to Panama and then on to Nicaragua again, from where they could begin their trek into the U.S. border to apply for asylum on the grounds of political prosecution, um, they were using, you know, Panama as a transit point to get to Nicaragua, and, and Panama is starting to tighten that uh, requirement. So now it says that um, there were some 400 people protesting in front of the Panamanian embassy there in Havana. A new visa requirement was announced that would make fleeing the island more difficult. It requires all Cubans to buy a transit visa at the embassy 15 days before entering Panama. The requirement uh, was to take effect just a few days after the announcement, throwing into chaos the travel plans of many Cubans who had planned to fly out during the last two weeks of March. Mm -mm. So they had extended it until the Panamanian government slightly extended the implementation date uh, to March the 15th. So they claimed that the transit visa requirement would be in place for just three months. Um, some Cubans feared that um, more stringent restrictions lay ahead. Wow. So it's it's quite a situation, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. It is. And yeah. what people what people don't realize is when governments make policies, it's it's people who who haven't asked for those policies that get caught in the crossfire. Yeah, because the Cuban citizens didn't ask for this; they didn't sign up for that. And the Caribbean, well, princess, like Denny and myself and others have said, at what point will the Cuban people say that they need change? And I mean, that change, but, okay, is on them to demand. Yeah, but you know, you know, behavioral pattern. If you have a country that's been following communism for sixty years, that is what they grew up and know to fight against. That the younger, the young, I know the younger Cubans are willing to fight and say, you know. We will fight this out. But the problem is, is when you have preceding generations who are like, oh, well, you know, this is what it is. They've come to accept the reality. And when you have a different group saying, no, this isn't right. What do, what do you do? What, mm-hmm. what, what do you then do? Because I know Bahamas is feeling it. Turks and Caicos is feeling it. Jamaica is feeling it. Cayman's feeling it. The countries that are closer to Cuba are the ones that are feeling it the most. Mm-hmm. And we, we are not getting the support from the united nations when they should be i don't know if they're advocating sure they are but we don't get that energy support as how ukraine is getting their support we get like danny mentioned millions of dollars or whatever where where is the support with these stringent policies that people want to adhere to Mm -hmm. that that's the problem because the kimanian budget ain't that big 
All right, folks, so we continue to uh, look at the migration situation here in uh, the Cayman Islands as it relates to Cuban nationals. Um, so far, they appear to be, you know, our only concern, but I think it's, it's you know, probably just good common sense for us to look at other migration, um, you know, policies or, and movements around the world. Again, uh, check out this um this report, the World Migration Report, which says that only 3.6% of the world's population, which is 281 million migrants, are actually on the move. Um, but the estimated number of international migrants has increased over the past five decades. So, uh, you know, people are moving more. So do check this report out. It has a wealth of information. Um, and it says that high-income countries, for example, always are the main source for remittances. But for decades, the U.S. has constantly been the top remittance sending country with a flow, a total outflow of $68 billion in 2022, followed by the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Switzerland, and then Germany. So maybe on tomorrow's program or the day after, we can spend a little bit more time delving into some of the details of this. Um, folks, we want to thank our listeners on Bobo 89.1 FM. You guys have a fantastic day. And we'll be right here tomorrow morning with another very, very super interesting segment of um, medical. Uh, um, it's actually Rundown Tuesdays here with Health City. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Cold Hard Truth on Bobo 89.1 FM. Cayman's number one talk show is live weekdays from 7.30 a.m. Never miss an episode again. Watch anytime on CMR's Facebook and YouTube channels for the latest show episodes. Don't forget to follow us online on our social media channels and visit CaymanMarlRoad.com for all the latest news and community happenings. All right, folks, we've just ended uh, the session on radio because we have to be very, very precise with the timing. We're supposed to do it at 9.58 and 08 seconds. Um, we always seem to be a little bit behind, but thank you guys so much for tuning in. A super interesting conversation um, today. And, uh, you know, these are topical, regional, international issues that um, continue to impact all of our lives. So we will continue to have the conversations right here on the Cohort Truth. So tomorrow's show, we've got um, the folks over at Health City that will be joining us. And in addition to um, Health City joining us tomorrow, we actually have a few guests lined up this week. So on Wednesday, we're slated to have uh, Mr. McKeever Bush join the program. Um, he was listening to Friday's program and he wants to come on and set the record straight about uh, a few things. So we'll have him and then we should be having on Wednesday evening the session with the um, the premier um, or uh, premier access on, when, on Wednesday evenings. Um, and I understand that he's actually going to be at a climate change meeting that is, is happening here um, in the Cayman Islands, sustainability meeting. So we'll find out a little bit more about that. And do not forget, folks, that there is the, um, there is the performance this evening. Uh, it was originally slated to be literally under the stars, but because of inclement weather and they weren't quite Sorry, they weren't quite sure if the dust clouds were going to be, um, you know, creating any rain. What we have, Jazz on the Stars has had a change of venue and it will now be held at the Harkwell Theater this evening at 7.30. I understand it's completely sold out. So if you haven't gotten your tickets already, oh my gosh, 
I don't know what to tell you. You're out of luck. And um, all I can tell you folks is it is a sold out event. And so we invite you to, um, well, we had people on here winning tickets. So if you'd been paying attention, you would have had an opportunity to win tickets. But a change of venue, make sure that you show up nice and early at the Harkville Theater this evening for this wonderful event. Lots of amazing performers um, going to be entertaining a house full of music lovers this evening. All right, folks, you guys have a wonderful evening and we shall see you tomorrow morning, bright and early at 7.30 a.m.